Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 84, understanding motorcycle loads for overlanding. All that and more coming up. But before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who really helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more. Here we go. Martin Lewis, Martin Harris, Levy Tarot, Simone Rogers, Louis Pino, Michael Muldoon, Austin Teal, Robert Ogg, Warren Gibson, Steve Blaze, Stephen Howard, Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Thank you all so much. Just huge to get that kind of support. And that shout out that we just did here is, is for support of $50 or more. It doesn't have to be $50. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent out at you. Anything $50 or more gets you the, the shout out. And of course, we'd love it if you consider being a regular patron supporter. Anyway, that's all on our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. Now, just in case Raw is a new discovery for you, we do another show every week. It's the flagship show called Adventure Rider Radio. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Here we go, Adventure Rider Radio Raw for January 2023. Recorded live from the Canoe S Media Studio deep in the boreal forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my esteemed regular Overland co-hosts. I'm going to start way over in Australia, Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks. Good morning. Good morning from a very gorgeous, sunny summer's morning here in the central gold fields of Victoria. It's going to be a glorious day. It certainly is. It's sunny here, just so you guys know that. Just just to be clear, <laughs> it's sunny. The temperature is maybe not the same, but it's sunny. Yeah, it's only going to be about 30, 32 today, uh, yeah. building up to 37 on the weekend. Yeah, which uh, for those uh, over in North America, it's 107 Fahrenheit. It's lovely. It's, for, the, for those in North America, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that in the background right there is Michelle Lamfair in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Michelle, hello. Hello. Nice to hear everybody and, and get together again this month. Yeah, and we're and we're we're firing up a new year here, and I'll and I'll bring in Grant yeah. Johnson from British Columbia, Canada. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody, and happy New Year! It's ah, a good yes. good year coming up. And over in the UK, Sam Manicom. Hello, Sam. Hey, everybody. Um, this is just so nice to be doing this again. And too right, Grant. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, Happy New Year, boy. Th- this episode obviously starts the the beginning of another new year for us here at Raw. But I want you to do this. You, you guys do this for a second. Cast your minds back a moment, way back, even before the pandemic, to January 2016. Now, what significant thing were you guys doing in January 2016? Oh, uh, <laughs> we were in Russia, I think, No, 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 not no. January. No, no, we're at home. Oh, God knows, Jim. What, what are you, that's a trick question without notice. Well said, Shirley. <laughs> I was hoping you guys were going to be a little quicker than this, but that's okay. We were recording the first episode of a brand new show called ARR Raw. It began in January 2016. And January today, this marks the beginning of our seventh year. How about that? Fantastic. Yeah. That's exciting. It is exciting. Now, Michelle, you've been been doing Raw for, oh, what, two years now or three years? I just... 
just finished my second full year and starting my third. Yeah. And I'm so happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Wow. This is glad to have you. Uh, glad to have everyone here. This this is this is wonderful. And you know, as as doing some, uh, I heard some quick uh, research about New Year's resolutions because we're talking about the new year. And one of the most common resolutions to kick off a new year, this is probably no surprise to you guys, is to lose some weight. Yep, it's it's a desirable aspiration, <laughs> especially after all the eating during the holidays. Well, is that what Correct. prompts it, or is it just the fact yeah. that you know, as you go along, you know, you just put on a few pounds, and that seems uh-huh. to become the, the, the along with that was exercise. By the way, <laughs> lose weight and exercise. <laughs> but yeah. I was sort of clinging yeah. to the the lose the weight thing and thinking in that pro that thought process. That's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about losing weight. Now, hang on, stop before you shut it off, <laughs> because people are listening thinking, I don't want to hear this. Um, unlike uh, most resolutions for this kind of thing, we're not talking about diet or exercise. We're not even talking about ourselves. We're talking about our motorcycles and, and more pointedly losing some of that weight that we pile onto our motorcycles. I think commonly referred to as gear or or maybe a few pairs of nice shoes and a dinner dress in Shirley's case. Um, but, uh, <laughs> new year's resolutions like this are almost destined for failure, but I think that this one's going to be easier to stick to because we love our motorcycles and, and we want to do what's best for them. And besides it makes life easier and simpler if we have less weight on our rides. But, but speaking of new year's resolutions, did anyone come up with any, did, did you guys, you know, take the plunge and, and make a resolution? Nope. Uh, not really. Um, but yeah. I can say, Jim, losing weight does have a bearing on the first topic. Because if you're carrying five or six kilos and your pinion's carrying five or six kilos extra weight and you drop that before you start travelling, that's 10 or 12 kilos of extra gear or less weight on the bike. Just saying. You know, oh, I, was, I was saving that for later. <laughs> you know, that's a really good point, Shirley, except that it is. the thing is, it's really easy to trim weight from what you're packing on the bike. It's really difficult to turn weight from my waist. <laughs> and as your weight fluctuates while you travel, you've got to buy stuff, throw stuff away, buy stuff, throw stuff away. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, we won't touch the waistline. We won't, we won't go into that on, on this episode. Um, we'll okay. talk talk about our, our gear and other things. Overpacking is a common issue for riders. We all agree with that. We've talked about it many times, and I, I think few would disagree with that statement. It's very difficult even for experienced packers of any kind, I'm thinking whether you're going on a kayak trip or a canoe trip or you're backpacking, whatever it is, it, it, it's very difficult to take only what you need. In fact, I would suggest it's an art to pack light rather than, maybe rather than a, a skill. Um, well, you just to back up a bit, Jim, um, I reckon you need to prepare your bike for what you're going to take. Mm, to be I, quite I, honest with you. I you totally know, like, agree. I, uh, like, for example, um, I actually have a, a separate spring that I put on the bike when we're travelling to take the extra weight. Mm-hmm. I, have, I take the take the shock out, put it put the heavier duty spring in it because I know we're going to be heavy, heavy, heavy all the time. Right. Um, so and you know, for example, um, I ripped off the the standard uh, muffler system on my GS and put on a, um, a a lighter system, and that takes at least four kilos straight off your bike, just like that. Mm-hmm. I still leave the cat on, but, you know, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it, there's a lot of things you can do to prepare your bike even before you start. Well, well, we'll get to that, but I'm not, I'm not, I've never really sold on the muffler thing. And I know you have another bike with what, like, what do you call them? The cone mufflers? What, what are they? 
What are they referred to as? They're not even mufflers. Oh. Megaphones. Oh, uh, well, that's that's what we call cafe racer, yeah. which basically has uh, like a a megaphone with nothing in it. Yeah, I can hear <laughs> yeah. him coming four miles when right. he's coming home. Many miles. Loudspeaker yeah. system for the motorcycle <laughs> engine. You did not do that to save weight to make your bike perform better or anything. There's one reason. Uh, one reason. And no, it, not really. Okay, so we'll get to that. So today we're talking about reducing our load. And, but what we're talking about is not only just weight. We're talking about bulk and complexity because reducing weight means less to haul. And of course, easier on the suspension and like what you're talking about, Brian, there with, but easier on your tires. You'll go through fewer tires, wear them out slower. Fuel economy is better. It's also easier to pick up your bike or, or to haul it into, haul your gear into a hotel room. So less bulk, I think means easier for everything, easier to maneuver the bike, um, easier to fit into small areas. Like if you had to put it into a small boat or something like that, or go through a doorway, it's just easier even to pack up less stuff in the morning rather than to to um, pack a whole ton of stuff. It's less to worry about damage or theft, all these things. So we're, we'll talk about the whole thing. We'll talk about reducing weight, bulk, and complexity. But let's start with with what, um, Brian, really where you were going with this here. And I was, I was thinking what we really should talk about first before we even talk about changing any sort of coil spring to add to uh, take the added weight, we need to figure out how much weight we can actually pack on our bike. So... Do you guys know, do, do, when you do this, do you actually know what your, your gro- maximum gross vehicle weight is for your bike? A lot less. Oh, he's looking at mine. Completely myself. disregarded. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian was right. Just add a heavier spring. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a start. I try everything. <laughs> yeah, I do. When I have it, takes. Okay. So four, when, when you figure out your calculations, O'Brien, do you, do you actually sit down and, and do it pound for pound and say, okay, this is the maximum gross vehicle weight. This is what the bike weighs as it is, as it is. I'm talking with your pen, your choice and everything else. And then figure out this is how much we can take and then start weighing how much Shirley's putting in. Um, the, oh, the, the hardest thing to do is to actually get um, Shirley to get into a bike gear and get on the scales with a bike gear. <laughs> yeah. No, you you laugh. I've actually had to do that. So, yeah. I've, Hang on. You had to do it? I well, I I actually had to. I had a and it was such a generous thing. Um, Progressive sponsored me with a shock and spring, and so I went to a dealership, Bombers Beamers, out in uh, North Carolina, and they asked me to stand on a scale with all of my gear on, my helmet, my gloves, everything, and then they weighed my fully loaded tank bag my left and right pannier and my duffel bag with all of my camping gear. And then they dialed in my suspension, front suspension, rear suspension, everything perfectly. And I'm going to tell you, it was an eye-opening experience. That is the best my KLR ever handled. It was like, it was like a race bike. It was Mm. beautiful. So it's amazing the difference that it makes. That's setting the sag correctly. Yeah. Yeah, setting the sag correctly, but I've been fighting with that for years and years and years. People just don't get that properly set up suspension makes a massive difference. The problem we've got is that your average rider rides his bike and it's fine. He gets picks it up new and it's perfect. It works well. It works great. And he rides it and he rides it and he rides it. And guess what? Everything wears out and the suspension starts to fade and the suspension isn't as good as it used to be. And eventually your rear shock, especially literally wears out and it just doesn't work well. But you don't notice it because you're, as a human being, you're really good at at adapting to whatever the current situation is. And it feels fine. 
But take that bike away from me, put a brand new one underneath you, and you go, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you guys a question. So you, you go to a, um, an expert in suspension, and they go through exactly what Michelle um, just talked yes. about, which I'm sitting here nodding and thinking, yep, spot on, brilliant. But hang on a minute. That's for setting up a bike um, ready to go traveling. Right. Yep. What about all of the time when you haven't got all of the luggage on and all the rest of it, and you've got this bike whose suspension is all singing and dancing for overlanding? But what about bumbling down yeah. to the shops or for a quick scoot you've up the mountain? You've got to do it all again. You, you've got to set the whole thing up again because then Michelle's bike, when she takes all her gear off, is going to ride like a pogo stick. It's going to be exactly. really right. harsh. Yep. The damping right. is going to be far too harsh. I mean, the whole it'll be horrible. Yes, and that's tough. <laughs> It's the way it is. You have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. My R80 GS, when I set it up, um, I literally bought the bike brand new, took the rear shock off and hung it on the wall and bought a good high-performance shock from Works Performance. And they sprung it according to the weights that I gave them. And there is no sag when the bike is unloaded. I mean, no sag. It's right at the top of the suspension. It's rock hard. But you get the two of us on it. And it's pretty good, a bit firm. And then we load it up and it's like a race bike, like yeah. Michelle was just saying. Mm -hmm. It works perfectly. And I would rather have it perfectly suspended for the most of the time when we're riding fully loaded than and have it work well than have mm -hmm. it too soft. If it's soft and squidgy at speed when you're fully loaded – you're in trouble. It's dangerous. Oh, absolutely. Like it just takes the smallest hump in the road on the corner or something like that. And yeah, well, following like a drunk hippo, aren't you? Yeah, but yeah, harshness does that. Yeah. Harshness is, can be dangerous as well. I mean, because the whole idea yeah. of suspension is to keep the tire in contact with the road. And when you go over washboard, for instance, if it sits up on top and doesn't actually go in, then you're losing control. Your tire is not on the road. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of the same both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. But on a big trip, around the world trip, what are you doing mostly? Oh, yeah. Fully right. loaded. Yeah, I see what you're Fully saying. loaded. Fully loaded. Yeah. So when you're bimbling around town doing a little tour around, you should be aware because of the harshness of the suspension that this isn't good, but I'm only going to go out for a, a little day ride. So I'm going to ride slow and careful and take my time. And I'm used to riding fully loaded with a ton of luggage. So the bike all of a sudden feels super light and maneuverable. So I'm just going to take it easy and not do anything stupid. Yeah. And you're much better off than running with grossly under suspended suspension. Grant, it's great. It's, it's great for sightseeing too, isn't it? Because you've got that extra four or five inches altitude. <laughs> yeah. You can see an awful lot more from it. <laughs> That's right. Um, then the other factor that yeah. goes with that, if your suspension is too soft, and I've seen this many times, this, the number of stories I could tell you, it's just horrifying. People run out, head out with full, a full load and stock rear shock. And guess what? Yeah. The shock fails in the middle of nowhere and they complain about the lousy xyz brand shock and how poor it is and then they go out and they buy another one of those because obviously the first one was defective and guess what it fails too mm -hmm. and i say well why don't you just buy a good shock and get it properly set up in the first place oh it's too expensive you've already gone through two shocks another one's going to go as well which is more expensive and how much aggro is it to get a replacement shock in the middle of nowhere Come on, put a good shock on it from the beginning. Like I said with mine, I took a stock shock off, brand spanking new. It's shiny, it's perfect, it's never been used. And I put a good shock on right from the beginning. And I do not regret it one bit. It's worked fantastic all the way. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm ah. exactly the same, Grant. I, I, I actually uh, I ordered mine without the um, suspension adjustment. That was mm-hmm. uh, a bit dicey in those days. And uh, I, as soon as I got it, ripped those standard shocks out, put Olin shocks in, and uh, I've been um, – I've had mine rebuilt four times now, um, one replaced, but um, the front shock when we got back from the last trip, you could feel it. You know, it wasn't quite right. As you know, they would tell a lever front end. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled that out, put the, the standard um, uh, shock in the front and went to get that repaired and they pulled it apart and it actually delaminated inside. The, the chrome on the inside had delaminated. It worked that hard. Um, so, you know, people underestimate how much work these things do. Now, sometimes it's a compromise, you know. But with with me, I, I, I adjust the spring. Okay, it's not quite perfect, but it's a lot better. And I tell you, you know, you watch you guys on these sports bikes and you're on a bike which has got long travel, good, solid suspension. They can't get away from you if you want to go hard. You know, um, I was talking to a, a guy who's a professional racer yesterday and uh, he said, oh, those, those uh, big chook chases you guys ride, they're unbelievable. You know, you get into the hills and they, uh, they hang on so well and they handle the bump so well. And it's all because of the good suspension, not the power. And um, you know, people underestimate what you can do with um, uh, good good suspension. Now, to go to go below that, there's the tire limitations as well. I mean, how many times do you see people post things about or talk about delaminating tires, odd wear on their tires, etc. But yeah. they have a massive load, you know, two up on on the tire. Yeah. And actually, if, you, yeah. if you probably look at it, you'll find there's times where you're actually exceeding the maximum weight the tire is designed to handle. Yep. Yeah, tires have a load rating. They are designed for a specific amount of weight. Um, by our ADGS way back in the first first thing when we headed off in 87, had a, an S-rated tire with, a, I don't know what the load rating was, but it was ridiculously low. And it was I knew it was just totally inadequate. So I went out and got a, mm. a load range B tire, which was good for memory serves it's been a long time 760 pounds at 49 psi yes that's that sounds right um which was great considered compared to the original one which was good for 400 pounds oh wow be rock hard wouldn't it grant be rock hard at 49 uh it wasn't bad um i went through the standard method of figuring out what's the correct tire pressure of you run it at the factory recommended pressure with fully loaded and you you run for half an hour and do a tire pressure check and if it's gone up five percent you know like three or four pounds it's okay if it's gone up 15 pounds it's not okay and i went from the factory recommended pressure of i think it was 36 if i remember rightly and ended up at 49. And it was perfect. Yeah. It was 49 cold, 51, 52 hot. Fine, I'll take that. That worked very well. Um, and we went around the world with that. And it worked perfectly. But the stock original tire got so hot, I couldn't touch it within mm. about 15 minutes of riding. Yeah. So that yeah. tire was failed, was delaminated because of all the weight. Yeah, it was yeah. just way, way overloaded. It was designed for solo riding on a <clears throat> giant dual sport bike. And for that, it was fine. But loaded up with a passenger and luggage no way so you've got to get the tire right and make sure your tire is correctly rated uh, there's all kinds of stuff on the internet about what the correct load rating is and what tires are um, if you know how a tire is um, you look at a tire marking 
and it'll say, for instance, 130, 80, 17, 70 H. The H is the speed rating, and the 70 is the load rating, how many pounds it can take. Um, so what is it? A 60 load rating tire is good for 551 pounds, or 250 kilos. Uh, 70 is going to be significantly higher than that. So you've got to make sure that the load rating is well within the range of your weight on that tire. And I think that's where people can get a little confused. Your rear tire is going to have 60 to 70% of the total weight of the bike on it. So you need to calculate that. Um, your front tire doesn't have nearly as much load. And generally, I've never seen an issue with overloaded front tires. So it's always the rear. Grant, are you talking loaded? That the has 60, loaded. 70%? Loaded, yeah. Loaded. It could even be more than that, couldn't it? It could be. It could be 75%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the normal standard stock is around 60% on the rear versus the front. Maybe 55, very dependent on the bike and the riding position. Sports bikes have a lot more weight on the front than a 1200GS does, for instance. Mm. Um, so you've got you've to watch that load rating and you can easily search the internet for load rating, motorcycle tire load rating, and there's all kinds of good stuff out there. And make sure you've got the right load rating. That's, that's absolutely critical. So if you have a tire that is in, and, and it doesn't have the adequate load pressure or load capacity, the tire is just not going to work well. Um, it's going to delaminate. It's going to fail. It's going to overheat. Um, people complain about cracks in the tread and they say, oh, the tire is defective. Have you looked at the load rating and what your load is and compared? Maybe it's just because you've overloaded it or underinflated it. Mm -hmm. hmm. It may not be the tire's fault. And 99% of the time, I can guarantee you, it's not the tire's fault. It's overloaded. Yeah. Overloaded yeah, and underinflated. Right. And the other thing, the other thing you've got to consider is um, your braking capacities with uh, your weight too, and how quickly you're going to wear out your your brakes and all the rest of it. Um, you know, and that that um, takes into account: do you do I have to take spare front brake pads? Probably not. Spare bra rear brake pads? Yes. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that a fair call? Yeah, that's a great? very fair call. Absolutely. Yeah. One stretch of the road, your rears are done. And especially yeah, yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. going to be in the mountains. Yes, yeah. you're always on the, yeah, that's right. Well, and the other thing to think about going back to load rating is when you hit the brakes hard, guess what? Your front tire just got all of that load on it. Yeah. And the same thing when you're accelerating, all that load, all that weight of the bike. I mean, think about pulling a wheelie, even a little tiny wheelie, hard, hard on the throttle. And guess what? The whole thing is on that rear tire. Hmm. Do I want to make sure I got a little bit of margin on my load rating? I think so. Yeah. yeah it's fun though. Oh yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so that's, that's the fear I guess you should have right to begin with is the, is the fact that there are limitations to this. I don't know if fear is the right thing to say with that, but I mean, it should be something that it should be really high on your priority list, obviously, when you're, when you're looking at packing. I want to talk before we, we go any further with, um, with getting lighter, getting rid of stuff that we're packing, about solo and two-up and what that does sort of for, for the overall picture. Uh, Brian. Can I go back a bit? Can I go back just yeah. a bit, Jim? Yeah, sure. Jim, too. I wanted to, just going back to um, your talk, you mentioned GVWR right at the very beginning. Yep. Um, I did a little check. Just to make sure, because uh, I, I mean, I know the rough concept, but I looked up my 1200 GS. Um, 1200 GS wet 
stock is 496 pounds for a 2007. Um, but its maximum load, 475 kilos for GVWR. That's with 90% fuel. And here's a really important caveat, no optional extras. The little yeah. extra lights, they weigh. The rack, it weighs. Guess what a set of Touratech panniers weighs? 15 kilos, empty, just for yeah. the two saddlebags and a rack. It's 15 kilos. So you're going to very quickly run out of um, total weight. So I'm looking at myself with all my gear on. I'm around 200 pounds. Susan, with all her gear on, is 145 or so. Don't tell her I said so. Uh, that's like 350 pounds. So I'm, I've got a total carrying capacity on that 1200 of 132 pounds, yeah. 160 kilos. Yeah, that's right. And that's with no gadgets. That's with no stuff, no bits and pieces, no bags, nothing. Yeah. This, this is what I wanted to wind back to as well, Grant. I was talking about exactly this thing with um, a couple of friends a few weeks back. And um, one of them said, I've just bought this bike and I've just, I, I hadn't paid any attention to the load um, capacity of it. And when I've got a pillion on, I've, I've almost got no luggage weight capacity. And he <laughs> yes. was gobsmacked because this was actually a brand new bike. I'm not going to name drop. But he was gobsmacked that it had been designed in such a way that it's a touring motorcycle, but it's not allowing him to carry any more than the weight of a pillion or not much more. I mean, that's, that starts you, though, thinking about not only suspension, as we've been just talking about so rightly, because it's so important. I mean, I think about when I set off, I knew nothing about this sort of stuff. And my, my decision-making process was, well, if I'm going to be carrying more luggage, then it's relatively logical that the bike's not designed to carry the extra weight, so I better beef the suspension up and stuff like that. It was just pure logical common sense thinking without knowing what I was doing and I know that I didn't set off with the suspension set up properly and when eventually I did get it set up properly good grief it was a different bike and yeah. I actually enjoy riding my motorcycle much more when she's loaded than I do when she's not and of course we've just been talking about all of that but let's put it this way you've got a pillion um, and you've got the luggage for the two of you so what can you do besides putting much better suspension on the bike. You can do little things to stop the bike actually having stress factors from the additional weight that you're putting on. And when you start walking around people who've been doing big overlanding trips, many of them have got reinforced bars running between the rear pannier racks because those stop a huge amount of flex and that really helps you with the additional strain that you're putting on the subframe. Occasionally, I've come across people who've actually reinforced the subframe um, just yep. purely and simply because that simple bit of um, preemptive work has, has stopped um, the risk of, of um, frame, you know, subframe collapse. And it happened to me. When I was in the first year of the trip, I had too much stuff on the bike. I was stupid. I planned for every eventuality, as everybody does. Um, and I was carrying too much, and I broke the subframe. That was a wake-up call, wasn't it? Um, but, but all this stuff, sort of, Sam, this is all like a chain. Everything goes together. So when you start overloading, yes. you start beefing up some areas – it's only the next weak link in the chain that ends up going. I mean, all this stuff has has maximums to it. Your 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 rims and your your wheel bearings. I mean, all this stuff is designed for a certain amount of weight. So um, yep. I, I agree that sometimes you know you have to beef up the, the subframe. Sometimes replacing the bolts in the subframe. KLRs are bad for that. 
Um, mm-hmm. Supposedly, you know, they've got the, the bolts that come from the factory are, are somewhat soft, at least for, for loading up. So you put in bigger. But they're made order. of cheese. Right. So, <laughs> so okay, so you, you replace those. But the thing is, though, these were designed for a certain amount of weight and you're overloading that. Like you're sort of, I don't know about overloading the bike, but you're putting more weight on than what it's designed for. So that's when you have to start beefing things up. But again, you yeah. go back to that thing of the next weak link in the chain will be the breaking point. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, this just brings us straight back into, actually, why are we even thinking about carrying so much stuff? Yeah, yeah. Let's carry yeah, less. Yeah. But I wanted yeah, to make one, one last comment, Jim, on the, um, on the suspension. If your suspension is so soft, in other words, probably stock when you got fully loaded, you'll start bottoming out. Yes. And when it starts bottoming out, you know, once or twice, you know, in a week or two, yeah, okay, if it's a gentle bottoming out. But if it's happening all the time, then the frame will break. And that's when you get all these common problems with breakages of frames. I know one guy who went through three shocks and then the frame broke and he complained about the crappy bike. It wasn't the bike. It was his inadequately loaded, uh, set up shocks constant pounding, constant banging on it, and of course the frame's going to break. If you hit a piece of metal with a hammer, often enough, it'll break. It's just just a fact of life. Don't blame the bike. Blame the suspension. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, when I replaced my shock brand new with, with the uh, BMW GS, I also replaced the rear subframe because I knew they break. They break all the time. Stock R80 GS subframes break. I mean, Sam's got the later one, which is beefed up considerably from my earlier version, and his still broke. So I replaced mine with a complete, much heavier-duty uh, subframe, and it didn't break. And with the improved uh, rear suspension and the upgraded tires, I had zero problems in over 100,000 miles. Fully loaded, no issues, none. So it's, it's all about setting boxes, up right. isn't it? Yeah, sure. No you make sure you've got all the boxes done. You you fix this, you fix this, you fix this. And like Jim just said, it's a chain. Where do you stop the chain? Well, I knew that where the subframe bolts to the frame, there was a potential break. I beefed that up. Mm. You know, things like that. You do all the things. You you check the forums. You find out what breaks. You find out what's the um, common accepted cure. And you do those things before you head off. Or yeah. if you're really smart... You don't take so much crap. That's mm. <laughs> well, so I'll, true. I've, I've, I mean, got, I've, got hanging up in, I've got hanging up in my shed a trophy from our first trip, which is um, the rack that holds on the top box from the 1150GS, which mm. is aluminium. And I had a, uh, a lightweight GV top box on that and just a gyroscopic force of going over bumps all the way we got from England to India we went over a culvert and, okay, I grabbed a little bit of air going, going over the culvert. <laughs> but when it came down, you could hear this snap as the top box collapsed, uh, the, the, the aluminium frame broke. And I had to get that uh, welded up, um, uh, I drilled in some um, uh, steel supports to it and all the rest of it. But, yeah, that, it, it, it's always looking for that weak point all the time. Yep. And I thought I had it right, but um, obviously not. And when you look at the later bi- model bikes, they're all tubed um, steel now, you know, and, and, and that's a lot better. But still, they all have a load rating, and you've got to be very, very careful with it. Yeah, it's surprising how low the load rating is on a top box. I, I'm trying to remember. It just popped into my mind. I should have looked that up. Um, 
but I think it was something ridiculous like well we think of it as being ridiculous something like 15 pounds yeah yeah is the correct yeah, weighting I was, was going to say 15 18 20 pounds yeah it's yeah. That's, really that's low right. that's or right we, 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 we sent our we sent our top box and and uh, top box mount back from Alaska because and when I took that off and I, I went to the uh, post office and uh, weighed it to send it back it was 8 kilos yeah, eight kilos. You're taking off the bike straight away. You put a soft bag on it. Uh, I, I built uh, built a little plate which weighed about four hundred gram, if that I think, and um, uh, put a soft bag on it. And there you go. You've just taken you know seven and a half kilos off the bike. Eight kilos is almost eighteen pounds for those who don't know kilograms. I yeah, set off to the top box and made it as far as Kenya and took it off because I was just thinking, this is nuts. Um, and it wasn't until I took it off and was walking around with it with nothing in it that I realized just how heavy the blooming thing was and what a difference it made for the rest of the journey not having that top box on. Yeah, and I know exactly. people like top boxes. There are some people I know that carry almost nothing in them. And it's just for you know a, a visit to the supermarket as they're traveling on and they're heading for a hotel or a camping site or to put their crash helmets in when they're out exploring and things like that. And I can see the logic of that. But actually, there are much better ways to use that space in my mind. But that's yeah. just my mind. Well, but the, the reality great, is, when we're doing- the great day, the great day today, and I, I leave mine on for that, just day to day stuff. You know, put your wet mm. in or whatever. But when you're traveling, I would I'd take it off. And I have this argument with a mate of mine, Andy White, who runs a, a company called Andy Straps. And he's vows and declares he will never have hard, hard gear, hard panniers. Uh, and he creates his own um, waterproof um, bags that uh, hang off bikes and a lot of people in Australia have his stuff, which is just fantastic. But, um, yeah, I'm always arguing with him, oh, you've got to look at, you know, the security or whether it's, you know, this or that. So a compromise between the two is uh, yeah, what I've gone for. It's a tough one. I know Susan and I went around the world with the top box on our ADGS and we were happy with it. It worked well. It did the job. Yes, it was heavy. Um but I had prepared the bike adequately so that it wasn't an issue. And the bike actually handled really, really well. So hey, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute, Grant. Hang yeah. on. You had bloody shotgun cartridge holders, holders on the side of your ADGS, too. At the front. Those yeah. damn things are huge. <laughs> it's funny because when you look at a picture of Grant's bike from that trip, it does look overloaded, doesn't it? It, it looks like all this metal boxes on it makes it look like a tank. It looks like it's got yeah. a lot on yeah. there. I'm waiting for a lot of attention at borders too. <laughs> the board, the um, border guards would say, "What have you got in there? Machine guns?" And they say, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't look. They wouldn't ask to see inside. I said, "Yes, there's a shotgun in there," and they wouldn't look. <laughs> it was hilarious. But, Grant, um, was, was was this when you were a lot younger and more daft? I was a lot more daft. Well, I'm not sure more. that I'm less daft now, but he said more, more daft. Well, I'm not sure that I'm less daft now. No, well, that that all that stuff is partly. It was 1986. That was a long time ago, and things were very, very different then. And you couldn't buy anything. If you like, we had a choice of Craven saddlebags, which were fiberglass, and anybody who's worked with fiberglass. No, I'm not going to use fiberglass saddlebags or the BMW stock plastic panniers, which were mm. a joke. They'd fall off. I mean, literally fall off the bike um, and they'd break all the time. It was ridiculous. So I made aluminum boxes. I'd never heard of aluminum boxes before, ever. Um, so I made aluminum boxes and they worked great. 
I was quite happy with the design. I would do it quite differently today, but then I've had a few years to figure out what was wrong with them and what could be better. And the same goes for the top box and the front boxes were partly because I was carrying a $250 carbon fiber tripod up there. And in Africa, it was only held on with a strap. So I thought to myself, you know, this is going to disappear the first time I turn my back on it. So I said, I'll make a box. I put a, made a, started with a design of a little box. And then, oh, we could put some stuff up there because I was also had a knee panniers at the front. And if I make the box a little bit bigger, I can put more stuff inside and it'll all be locked up. And then it got a little bigger and then the shape changed and then aerodynamics came into it and you saw the result. And while you look at it and you think, my God, those are huge. What you have to do is look at the size of the bike that's underneath it. An R80 GS compared to modern motorcycles is tiny. I put the old R80 with its all its panniers on it and everything side by side with my 1200 GS and the poor old R80 looks like a baby. It's just amazing. It is 10 inches narrower at the back than the 1200 with a set of Touratech panniers on it. Grant, I absolutely get you. I mean, even when I'm riding, dropping from my F800 GS down to my R80 GS, the difference is massive. Living it feels tiny in comparison to um, to my F800. Yeah, it's amazing how huge modern motorcycles have gotten. I mean, I'm just constantly amazed at how big they are. Is that a good thing, Grant? You reckon that's a good thing or a bad thing? I'm not so sure, actually. I, I struggle with it a lot. I, I think uh, it's a bad thing myself. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Um, I mean, I look at what I used to ride 30 years ago, 40 years ago, something like I had an R100 uh, BMW and 81 um, R100S, and it's a small motorcycle, not much bigger yeah. than the R80. And I look at my 1200 GS beside it, and I go, oh, my goodness, why is this bike so big? And heavy is just not necessary. But when, uh, when you say big, though, are you talking width, height? Phys- everything, everything. In every yeah. direction. Because height you understand huge. because we're, we're getting more suspension travel nowadays. So you need height for that. That's something you can't get away from. There's an argument on that. I, and I would tend to disagree. The old R100 BMWs had, I think it was seven inches of suspension travel at the front. Um, and not, not as much as we have today. There's room to have more suspension travel on those old bikes and still be the same rough physical size. Maybe they have to go up an inch or two, but that's it. But but as you add a couple of inches of suspension travel, like if you took that that bike now, I think, what is it? Uh, it's seven, I think it's nine or 10 inches of travel now. Is it something like that? But in any case, every inch of travel lowers- You got to raise the bike. Well, it lowers your low, lowest point another inch on compression. Yep. So sure. you, you, there's definitely limitations there. And that's where you get the bigger bike, at least taller bike anyway. Taller, yeah. taller, yeah, yes. taller. But yeah. it also depends on how hard they work at getting the room inside. Like basically, you've got a seat, and the tire should not hit the seat, and anything else in there is unnecessary. Um, well, so, that's the whole idea of, of making engines that with angles, you know. So we've got cylinders that are yeah. tilted forward, etc. That's all to make that to compress that space, so you have more ground clearance and not as high of a, a seat height. I mean, because both those yeah. things, you want more ground clearance in an adventure bike, and you certainly don't want the height on the seat um, unless you you you, uh, you know, are forced to have it. But you don't want that height on the seat because it just makes it harder for anybody who's not tall. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's a battle. I think there's there's. Uh, 
there's lots of reasons and lots of technical reasons and marketing reasons for the way bikes are today. And I don't think that's our subject. So I'm going to kind of just kind of leave that. But I think we have to look carefully at what is the bike and why is it like it is and does it need to be that way? And I I would have arguments on this. I think it's something you could argue about for days. So mm-hmm. let's let's leave it. But what we're stuck with right now is modern bikes are big. They're fat, especially if you've got a pair of metal panniers on them. Like I, I couldn't believe that my R80 was 10 inches narrower with those with the big saddlebags I got on it. 10 inches narrow. I mean, come on. There's something going on that's, here. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, so where we're at is we have to deal with what we've got. We're not going to make, we're not going to build a brand new bike. We deal with what we've got. We try and keep our load down. We go for narrow panniers. We don't go for the big fat ones. Um, try and keep it skinny, keep the weight balanced, keep the weight forward. Like the reasoning behind my front boxes was to put some weight from the back to the front. And, so and it worked. Yeah, it was so absolutely that, massive, that is so important. Massive. I think that's missed by a lot of people. But Grant, going back to what you just said a few minutes ago about designing your panniers, I I thought it was it, it sort of lends to what we're talking about because you said you you were going to make it for your your tripod, and then you thought, well, I can put some more stuff in here. I'll get a little bit more space, a little bit more space, and and that's what happens, isn't it? I mean, that's what everybody it does. does. Absolutely, it's, it's this fear yeah. of being on the road or being somewhere without everything that you need. I, I think that, and we sort of talked about that. I think somebody somebody else brought up that it was a fear thing, and I and I think that's a very, really good way to say it. It's it's that you're af- you're afraid to not have something that you're going to need. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. Part of it is is when it, it's a, it's trying to cover up for ignorance, isn't it? I, I call it sticking plaster luggage. If I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, then I'll carry a sticking plaster. That'll make it all right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I think we have to keep in mind, too, that when, when I went off in 86, um, it was a different world. You know, we were thinking Africa and South America as being extremely remote and there's nothing out there. There's hardly any people. And if they are, they're living in a village and, you know, we'd be, be lucky to get something to eat. Uh, we might have to kill our own food. Yeah, Grant, it, it, was a, it was a different. <laughs> I'm just saying, I can give you a quote from somebody who's been around the world three times. He says, I took a fishing rod because I don't know, I might get hungry and I have to catch my own fish. So I have something to eat for dinner. <laughs> I won't tell you who that was, but you know, there it was a different mentality. You, we had no internet. We had no concept of what it was really like out there. We'd never been there. All we had was TV, movies, maybe, uh, or a Tarzan movie. Yeah, you, know, you you just had didn't know. I, I think that so was God, fiction, God, Grant. The Tarzan movie. No, don't, don't, don't upset me. Uh, did, did not carry a leopard skin loinscot, loinskin. <laughs> so, so the good thing is that you just said it yourself there, because we have the internet now, because we we have so much information at our fingertips, there's no reason to go and have ourselves overloaded. We have everything at our fingertips, all the information we need so we can figure this out and pack appropriately. That's the idea here. Yes, right? yes, right. absolutely. I mean, today... We have to remember, and, and this is something I've said a lot, and people listening maybe recognize it. You're on a road. The road has a beginning, which is probably a town of some kind, and the road has an end, and there's probably another town there. And guess what? People live there. And what do they need? They need toothpaste, just like you do. So you don't need to carry a spare tube of toothpaste. You don't need to carry a spare toothbrush because you can buy one. And guess what? If you're going up a mountain and it gets cold, people live there. And they know it's cold, so they have sweaters. And you can probably buy an extra sweater there. 
But what if they it's don't brush available. their teeth and then you're really stuck? Then you're really struck. You're, you're just done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the point is, is there's stuff out there. You there's carry there. brushes? Um, <laughs> yes. I oh, cut the ends off them. I knew I was going to say that, except Grant cuts the ends off to reduce the weight. <laughs> I would just skip right. breakfast. No, 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 I, I do that anyway, but if I'm if I'm shelling out, because, you know, the money on a toothbrush, that could be money in the petrol tank. So, you know, it's, it's a serious decision that has to be made. You mean you guys are telling me that you don't get a stick and just rough up the edge and at the end of it and use that? As well, you can do that with a cattail. You know those cattails you see growing by marshes all the time? You can take that and just pull off all the fluff and you've got a nice little surface there to use as a toothbrush. So. If you get stuck, there you go. There, there's your your toothbrush. Yeah. Hang on a minute. I'm just I honestly thinking about, yep. don't believe that grown adults are having this conversation. <laughs> I'm so glad you spoke up, Shirley. Somebody had to put a stop to this. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so what I was what I was going into was a solo and two ups. I just want to touch on that because to me that's like a huge deal you know as, as far as how it changes what you can pack and what your weight is and everything so for brian and shirley i think you're probably the, the best ones to start off with this how does the two-up thing change the picture well oh, sure. apart from the tire pliers <laughs> which will be the bane of my existence until hell freezes over you do have to consider not taking as much of, of everything and um camping gear we don't carry much cooking gear and things like that because all those things are just space issues and weight issues when there's two of us on the bike. But we do have the big panniers that Grant doesn't like so much, but they're, um, you know, they're fit for purpose for what we need to take. And we do take a jumper and a pair of swimming togs and I do like to take a, a skirt, not exactly a dinner dress, but I get sick of wearing pants all the time. So you know, it's it's just a, a compromise, really. Well, Neither of us carry as much as we'd like to, but we each have enough of everything. Look, I, I found, and if I, I go for a weekend or I go up for some meetings at, um, up to Canberra or whatever, um, I'm packing for two or three days, and that's about all I'm taking when we're going overseas anyway. I'm taking a lot more. Um, you, you end up get to getting to the point where you know what you can take and what you can't. I don't go to the extent of some of my mates who pride themselves on going with less and less and less each trip and um, and uh, it's got down to take a credit card and a spare pair of jocks just in case you get caught short. That's all they take in a bum bag. <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, you've got to take enough clothes that you've got something clean to put on yeah. because there's – yeah. Nothing worse than coming across a traveller somewhere and you start chatting and you think, crikey, I wonder how long it was since you've washed that shirt. Oh, you probably have a yeah. good idea. Yeah, yeah, well. We did yeah. read somewhere like we that. Did, and we went to we <laughs> smoke, discuss where. But um, so you do have to think of hygiene as well. That's important. Yeah, there's there's the extremes. I mean, there's always those people who want to, you know, do the extremes of anything and travel with next to nothing. But we want to travel comfortably. At least that's the yeah. idea of what we're talking about here. But I'm I'm curious, Brian, with you, you're so used to to packing two up and pairing all your equipment down to accommodate yeah. two separate, um, well, two separate people really, and, and all the gear. Do you find that when you go solo now, you're a, a better packer because of that? I do. I, I do. I, I reckon I'm a lot better packer now. Um, you, know, you don't take a pair of jeans. You don't need a pair of jeans. You take lightweight pants. Um, I've got particular shoes that I can wear uh, going out, not not bike boots, but they pack down to 
a, a really small load. They're not runners or anything like that. Um, and uh, shirts, uh, everyone thinks T-shirts are great travelling. You know what? You get sunburned on your neck a lot. So I wear um, polo shirts with a collar, and they can double to for going out. If you want to go somewhere nice, um, they're fine. Uh, so, I, I, yes, I reckon I do pack a lot better. Even my jumpers now, I, I can get a light, lighter weight jumper. And if you get really, really cold, you've normally got um, an over jacket anyway that you you, um, you wear when the, the weather gets wet on the bike, if you have to. So, yes, you, you can pack right down if you want to. And I found, we are talking about weight distribution before, I um, was always repositioning things for to get the weight right. And I ended up with my uh, tool roll uh, in my tank bag, just right over the middle of the bike and um, uh, forward, as we were talking before. Mm -hmm. Good tip with with the shirt. Thanks for that, Brian. That's a good tip because a collared shirt protects your neck a bit. And you can even flop the collar up to protect protect the the rest of your neck. Exactly. One thing about two up is... um, uh, not as much space for things like camera gear. Yeah. Mm. You know, they're the sort of things that rather I'd love to take our SLR when we go away, but I usually just take a little point and shoot that does really good high quality images. And now with the better quality phone cameras, you can get away with just using your phone in a lot of cases. But to have that really nice luxury of, of a couple of lenses and things, that that is something that we don't have that luxury. Because you're too up. Yeah, yeah, unless yeah. we got rid of the tie flies. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I've, I've found that um, I do pack a lot better, um, even for a weekend away now. Uh, and even with my camping gear, I can get that down pretty light now too if I have to go camping. Um, just the last trip I did. With his stretcher. Huh. Yeah, I actually decided to take a stretcher this time and it was great to sleep on. Absolutely fantastic. A stretcher but, says that for us, that would be a cot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a Helinox one, but it, it was um, it was great to sleep on, but I, there's no way known I could take it away if we were going two up anywhere because it's just too big. And two of them wouldn't fit in our tent. <laughs> of course. He wouldn't be sleeping on that and having you sleep on the ground, though. Correct. Yeah. Our marriage has survived a lot, but I think him being on a decent bed and me being on the ground is not going to be something. It's going to be kind of dress. Anyone else the solo and two up issue? I think, I mean, there are some things that just don't change. Birgit and I have ridden um, two up and um, rode for it with another friend two up for quite a while. And um, a lot of the things don't change, whether there's solo or whether there's two up. For example, the size of your first aid kit, that doesn't change whether there's one or two of you. Um, the number of tools you're going to carry, that doesn't tend to change whether there are one or two and so on. So it, it, to my mind, it comes down to the things that make you as an individual feel um, as, as part of a duo, you as an individual feel like you have the things that you need to have to be you. Um, so what I mean by that is, yeah, of course, all of the basics, uh, the, the understood necessities of life, you know, clothes, et cetera. Um, and what you're really going to wear is both Shirley and Brian and Grant have just been talking about, but also that little special item. Um, now, Birgit and I didn't, um, when we when we did our first trip to get um, two up, we didn't have um, separate um, areas in the panniers for what we were doing. We just fitted our luggage in 
as suited the the packing requirements of the bike. I don't know. Um, I think one of my friends um, or two of my friends uh, made a deal that when they were going to travel two up on a motorcycle, they were only going to have black clothes except for one long sleeve T-shirt and that was going to be their colourful item. Everything else was going to be black because that way they could just mix and match shorts and T-shirts and trousers and all of the rest of it. And that meant that they could keep on giving a different look to the day and that made them feel better as individuals. But actually they weren't carrying any more stuff and I kind of liked that. It was a, a simple thing. But the different coloured long sleeve T-shirt was was a headspace thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a side issue when people are thinking, God, you know, really, if I got to get down to that much clothing, is that all I'm allowed to take? Here's a thought for you. Doing your laundry is much less of a daunting task when you have hardly any clothes. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> but it's more important that they dry quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Like Brian said, no jeans, no cotton, forget it. It's just that's right. not no, no good at all. Brian, um, when you were talking about how things were when um, you first set off um, and the sort of things like clothes that were available, the difference in materials now oh. uh, for clothing abilities, lighter, dry faster, and warmer, cooler, um, just packed down that much smaller, et cetera, et cetera. The difference is massive. Yes, yeah, and it's absolutely. True, it's true for camping gear too, for tent yep. materials, for sleeping bags, mm -hmm. um, some of the thermal, thermal bag liners, sleeping pads and mats, all of that the weight has really dropped over time. I think partly because a lot of it's designed for backpackers, but it works mm. really well for us too as motorcyclists. Yeah, well, I did a really yeah. interesting comparison just last year. Um, I was I bought some a new tent and I got a lone rider tent and a few other odds and ends for off-road camping. And I had our old, we took around the world sleeping bags and our new sleeping bags we bought, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago. And just... For fun of it, I compared the volume, the new new tent for two people, which is plenty of room, and the new sleeping bags and the new mattress pads compared to the old stuff. The new stuff is half the size, the half the physical volume. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And significantly wow. lighter. So that uh, top box that everybody has seen, I hope, was full of tent, sleeping bags, and mattress pads. And there might have been one or two small things in there, and that was it. The top box was the house. That's what we called it. We didn't take it. We didn't empty it out unless we were going to camp. And that's I the found, amount of volume it took. I found my original one-man tent the other day, the one from the right at the beginning of the trip, which was the most ridiculous tent that I uh, concept <laughs> that I could have ever have, have decided. But I went for what was small, and I thought, well, there's only one of me, so I need a one-man tent. Climbing in and out of this thing was like climbing in and out of the space capsule. There was no space um, for um, <laughs> bike clothing or for my yeah. bike boots to go undercover and all of this sort of thing. And it was dark green. It was mm -hmm. like sliding myself in a hot day into um into an oven. But what started? I've 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 sidetracked. Appropriate. Um, the thing that surprised me was how heavy this thing was for a one-person tent, and the the poles. They were all um, probably twice the circumference of the tent poles that I've got now, and it all adds up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, yeah, and just a comment on the top box. Well, it just popped into my head as we were talking. I was talking about the house. Susan won't ride with the top box anymore. 
She absolutely refuses. We just use a large duffel bag. She wants something behind her because it makes her feel, you know, kind of held in place. It's not going to fall off the back, which is always a fear for the average passenger. Um, but we know of somebody who was rear-ended on his bike with a top box and the passenger broke her back. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Yeah, that's that's always my concern. I'm not big on on boxes either for the back of the bike. I do have a bag that I put on when I'm like, especially when, when we've went two up, Elizabeth and I. Um, but um, mainly, I'm, I, I try not to have anything on the back. But if anything, it's it's just a big flat waterproof bag that I have on the back. Yeah, yeah. a big bag like that still gives you support. I know exactly what Susan's saying. I like to have something behind me too. And um, we have a big roll bag that has all sorts of extraneous light stuff in it. And I can, I feel very comfortable with that there. And one day when we first bought our camping gear and we picked it up and didn't have time to position it correctly on the bike, we had um, a bag strapped onto the top of one of our panniers, which with the roll bag behind me and that, it was like an armchair and I was sound asleep within two minutes of getting on the road. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But remember we I, I, hang on. I don't think it's safe to do that, Shirley. I'm just going to point this out. I don't think it's safe to sleep on the back of the bike. I, I can sleep all the time. Yeah, I do all the time. But they're kind of like um, nana naps. They're not really long sleeps. But we had one um, CD track that for the first six months we were on the road, I said to Brian, my favourite song on this particular album isn't on this particular album. I'd managed to sleep through it every time. So I was <laughs> at least three and a half minutes a, at a stretch. So. A nano nap. Brian, you're not having those, are you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we not. not. <laughs> I rode with a couple called Mike and Sally to, um, to begin with um, in Africa. And even on the gnarliest dirt roads, Sally would be fast asleep on the back of the bike. But the thing was, she also had the armchair um, set up that um, Shirley's just been describing. And I'm sure that helps. But literally, she was leaning over sideways and we were walloping through, I don't know, meter deep potholes sometimes. And she'd, her head would be bobbing away, her shoulders would be bobbing, and she'd never <laughs> fell off, never even came close to it. <laughs> wow. I think I told you guys before, my son, I, I used to pick him up from work and he would work late. He was working at a, at a restaurant. And he would work late. So it'd be like 11 o'clock I'm picking him up or something. But so he's tired when he gets on the back of the bike and, and I'm riding him home and I would hear, I could feel his helmet smack into my helmet. Right. And say, Peter, are you asleep? Mm -hmm. Nope. Not asleep. <laughs> I know you're asleep because I just felt your head. No, I'm not asleep. And it would just happen over and over and over. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I can tell when Susan's asleep on the back, um, but she's, she's never even come remotely close to falling off. I asked somebody about that years and years ago because I knew somebody who rode on a very tiny, small dirt bike seat with a passenger on the back. And I don't know how she even managed to stay on it at all, but she would sleep on the back and we were flat out racing on the back roads. Uh, so I asked this guy about it. It was a doctor and he says, yeah, it's, 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 what did he call it? I think the basic is that it's the monkey reflex. A monkey can sleep in a tree and a monkey doesn't fall out of the tree. When a human starts to nod off, they get this falling feeling. They immediately jerk awake. And you can do that many, many times. They'll, I don't know, like uh, Shirley's nanos, nano naps. Um, but, yep, sound asleep, won't fall off. Not a problem. Mm. See, I, I, think I it's fall forward, not sideways. And I do hit Brian's helmet. He knows when I'm asleep yeah. straight away. <laughs> whether this whole business is down to some sort of internal gyroscope that we've got. I mean, most of us don't fall over when, when we're walking, do we? Because we've got this internal balance thing that we've, we've mm -hmm. learned. 
So maybe it's exactly the same sort of thing, but actually sitting on the back of the back of a bike. Here we are. You see, here's a PhD study for somebody. You know, that's true. I was just thinking, I used to sleep on logs, you know, when, when I'm out camping. So as on the coast, you get these really big logs and I would sleep on a log on the beach because you can see the sky and it was just a nice spot to sleep. And I wouldn't roll off ever. And everyone always asks mm-hmm. that too. And I say, I don't know why I don't roll off. I just don't. Yep. yep. Same thing I was talking about, the monkey reflex. You yeah. don't fall out. The monkey yeah. in me, I guess. You'll always catch yourself. Well, I, I don't know about on the back of a bike. I don't think I'm ready to try that. But um, anyway, <laughs> so let, let's, I want to talk about luggage. And I know we sort of talked about a little bit about that luggage choice and how it affects overall weight. We were, we, you know, there was a couple of references there to the weight of hard luggage. And it's not a hard luggage versus soft luggage thing, but it's just to, to look at those differences. And I, and I think what you'd said, uh, Grant, I think you mentioned that you're, uh, that the, the panniers were 18 pounds each. Was that it? 15 pounds for the, for the pair, a pair of pound, a pair of bag, a pair of bags and the rack, 15 pounds. That's Any, anyone else know, Brian, you know, the weight of yours? Uh, no, I don't know the weight, but, um, and yeah, I, I get it. They're, they're pretty heavy, but you normally leave the racks on anyway, just take the bags off. Yeah. Um, and you can just uh, hang light bags over the top. I've got my shit is full of bloody bags and GV top boxes and motorcycles, cheese sacks. Right. Your shed's full of motorcycles, Brian. Need <laughs> uh, to make a correction motorcycle. here, Jim. Yep. It wasn't 15 pounds. It's 15 kilos. Oh, okay. yeah, that makes better. sense. That yeah. makes that's sense. Right. 15 kilos. Right. right. Okay. So that and, makes and sense. And that sounds, that sounds about right. I have Jesse yeah. luggage and with my two boxes and they're um, marine grade aluminum with all the contours and the frames and everything. And I think they're 30 to 35 pounds. Right. Empty. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's a big yeah. chunk of weight. So if you're going to have, yep. if you're going to enjoy the, the hard luggage and the security gives you and that you can take them off and sit them, all the things that come along with that, then you need to take that into consideration and say, okay, well, I'm going to be carrying less stuff in those, uh, in those boxes, which takes us to Grant's point of, of saying, you know, maybe you shouldn't get the big boxes unless you really have a need for yep. it. Well, my 1200 GS has a, I've got a, a carrying capacity of 60 kilos minus 15 kilos for the panniers and box alone. That means I've only got 45 kilos. Now, if I put a top box on it, that's got to be another five kilos. I'm down to 40 kilos total luggage capacity, including tank bag and anything else and accessories and lights and all mm-hmm. the rest of the crap. Yeah, it's bizarre. You know, it's, it's, it goes down fast. I think people don't realize just how fast it goes down. You see some of these bikes that are just loaded to the eyeballs and and above. I've seen bikes with stuff above the rider's head. It's just ridiculous. There's no way that's safe. Mm-hmm. And it depends, I think, for me a bit on what kind of traveling you're doing and where you're going. For me, traveling through the Americas, my hard luggage was was at least at the time, what I felt was an ideal choice for me. Because if I was going to step away from my bike to go work at a border crossing and in Central America, you have a lot of those. You'll spend, you know, a couple of hours at least at each border crossing away from your bike. I felt a lot more confident about the security of my belongings because I had things locked in hard hard luggage that was secured to the bike. Um, And there were times on, you know, two-lane highways and even main highways in Peru and Colombia that I got bumped. A car would actually, you know, be switching lanes, come around to pass me and tap one of my boxes. They were that close to me. So I felt at times it gave me a little kind of a space cushion around me for my legs to be protected because of those hard boxes. And I've, of course, 
I have both soft luggage and hard luggage. I know there's pros and cons to each, but for that particular trip, those were perfect for me. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. That's yep. exactly right, Michelle. And and we felt the same way. And I found when I was carrying the um, soft bag rather than the top box, I used my I have a, um, a cable lock for the bike. I could wrap that around it for security as well. And that worked yeah. pretty well. And also, well, yeah, I have come off at 100K on the GS uh, with the um, the uh, hard luggage on. And yes, you're right. There is a, a little capsule of protection in there, which is uh, very handy sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's saved my bacon several it. times. Yeah. 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 Peru got me, um, Michelle, um, the drivers in Lima. Um, mm-hmm. I've got bumped several times there. I mean, yeah, you're smaller, get out of the way. Um, if they were even <laughs> were the, aware that you were in the way, because it was. So. Yeah. But I mean, in good. India, I got nudged a few times, um, yeah. and again, the panniers—they just gave me that leg protection zone. Um, but I mean, the, the part of the the consideration here has to be not only what feels logical to you for, for the trip that you're going to do, but also the difference in price uh, as well as the weight, um, because there's an awful lot of um, soft luggage that. Costs a hell of a lot less than hard panniers. Yeah, unless and some of it costs as much too. It's pretty amazing oh, how much it can cost. True. Yeah, I mean yeah, some of it true. is all singing, all dancing, absolutely wonderfully made, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and people, I think, who are choosing that quality of luggage are choosing it because they feel safer um, with soft luggage when they're off road and things like that. I mean, I've very early on when I was motorcycling, you know, traveling, um, I caught my heel. Unfortunately, the ground was very, very soft and I managed to pull it out without it being an issue. And my instinct was very quickly trained from that one experience. And I never dabbed badly from that time onwards. So, you know, hard boxes have, have never concerned me. But I'm not riding at speed in extreme off-road conditions. I'm still chogging along. So that also makes a difference, I think. Yeah, but, yeah think, but we're not concerned so much about, you know, whether one's better or, you know, what the arguments are from one for the other. It's, it's more about weight that we're talking about today. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what I mean, because the, the, the hard panniers tend to be a lot heavier than, than soft panniers. Mm-hmm. So it is something that some people take into consideration as a, a really important factor. But but certainly yeah. could be worthwhile, as Michelle said, you know, you've got that comfort of, of walking away knowing it's got some security. I, I imagine there's a, there's a bit of a psychological aspect to that, too with the luggage, like somebody looks at your bike as bags, it certainly looks more accessible as bags than it does as a bunch of locked up aluminum boxes. Yeah. But that's where a, uh, a bike cover comes in too. If you're yeah, going to walk sure. away from your bike, throw yep. a cover over it, yep. even at a border crossing. Why not? But, but let's yeah. go back. To, sorry, go ahead. As Michelle. Brian, no, I was going to say, as Brian said, you also can have sometimes those cables that you run through like jacket sleeves, et cetera, and, or mm-hmm. a cable net. So I had a cable net that went over my duffel bag as well. So the, those work like a pack safe or something. Those work over soft luggage as well and keep things, you know, locked down on your bike. So mm-hmm. th- there's there's ways to make both of those systems work for you. Yeah, it's very much personal choice. If you decide to take the hard luggage, then you, you obviously are going to take, you know, well, like we said, maybe 30 pounds, 15 kilograms, something like that, out of your, your uh, available weight for packing the things that you take. Michelle, when you're when you're running your hard panniers, do you think about that and do you say, okay, well, I'm not taking this stuff because I, I've got the weight of the panniers here? 
Um, you know, I, I guess when I'm, I'm lucky, probably largely because I was on my own bike and that makes a big difference. So the, the carrying capacity of my KLR is 400 pounds and that's me with all of my kit, my helmet, my heavy boots, the, the luggage frame, the boxes, everything I'm taking. And I always pack to be self-sustained. Even if I'm traveling with someone, I carry my own shelter in case we get separated. I had my own tent and, you know, just, just for, you know, layers of security. And if I'm traveling with other people, we each carry separate first aid kits, et cetera. So there's some things that, you know, regardless of weight, they're going to make sure, or I'm going to make sure that those things are kept inside my kit. Um, so within that 400 pound parameter for my KLR, I was lucky enough to really not have to worry about it. The hard, hard, hard luggage fit within that limit fine for me. And I never found an issue where I was over that weight limit. Um, but two up would, could never happen on my KLR. I mean, I, I, I should say that I know I have a very dear friend and his girlfriend from um, Chile who have ridden their KLR north from Chile up to Alaska twice, two up, fully loaded and all of that. So I, I know that people do it, but um, yeah, within my, my weight capacity, according to the specs on the bike, yeah, I never had any problems with that. And the hard luggage just seemed to work best for me for that trip. Sam, on your trip and your, your big trip, you did, you were traveling solo. You started out solo on the way you met Birgit and Birgit jumped on the back of your bike and rode with you for a time, correct? Yeah. And I had another section where I rode with another friend, um, okay. two up. Right. So while you're riding with this second person, while the second person gets on your bike, did you end up having to unload some things? Did you look at yes. that and figure I'm getting, uh, so what sort of things did you unload? How did you lighten your load? Well, I mean, this this kind of started in Australia because I realized that I didn't have enough money to make it all the way back to Europe um, if something went wrong. Um, so, you know, I, I had enough just to make it if everything just clicked into place and the prices were good on things and so on. And then I thought, actually, part of the aspect of riding a motorcycle was that I hadn't tried was riding two up. So, hey, here we are. Here's an opportunity. So I looked at the luggage that I was carrying and I had a little wry smile when Grant was mentioning how um, rubbish the, the original um, BMW panniers were because that's what I had on my motorcycle. There were the plastic ones and I'd fallen off on them so many times by that time and they were held together with bits of fiberglass and duct tape and <laughs> cable tie stitching and all this sort of stuff. They weren't waterproof. And I was staying with um, an 80-year-old Australian millionaire who was um, a retired engineer. And between the two of us in his garden shed, we made me some new panniers. And I took into account traveling two up when um, we got the cigarette packet out and we drew the design on the back of it, literally. Um, and that was that I wanted to have the panniers a little bit lower because I wanted to get the center of gravity down lower because I was going to be carrying two people's weight. I also wanted to have the panniers a little bit wider so that we could get more weight down below so that um, we would have a minimal amount of stuff up high on the bike. So that was completely logical. And remember, you know, I was a complete amateur still, um, even a few years into the trip about this sort of thing. It was literally just common sense thinking what makes sense. Um, but as far as getting rid of stuff was concerned, yeah, I, I made a big mistake. Um, I did things like I got rid of my stove and my pots and pans and things like that, thinking, you know, I'm heading up in Southeast Asia. Um, food is cheap. Um, street food is cheap, et cetera, et cetera. I don't need 
to, to cook food for myself. And funny enough, one of the things that I really missed was the ability to cook um, for myself because I love buying things in markets and also being able to not being able to boil my own water and stuff like that. Um, so having to buy water, um, that was also um, something that I regretted having done. Of course, then in India, I discovered these wonderful little immersion heaters that you can plug into the ceiling light and drop down into your mug and um, boil a mug of water. And they take up far less room than um, than a, um, a stove does. So that was a sort of compensatory thing. But yeah, um, cutting down um, on the stuff that I was carrying was um, a significant thing. I mean, the other thing, of course, I was doing was I was hand painting T-shirts and selling them as I was going along. So on the back of my bike, I had this roll bag full of T-shirts and paints and all of that sort of stuff. Well, of course, all, all of that lot had to go as well. And I was quite impressed with how much I managed to get the gear down on the bike to, to bare essentials. Um, my friend who came on the back of the bike initially, she was an experienced backpacker and she also knew how little stuff you had to carry. And when Berger and I started traveling together, um, she was a cyclist. So again, she knew how little she really needed um, to do a big trip on a motorcycle. I was so impressed when she got off the plane in Kathmandu and she had a, a day pack and a bike jacket and a crash helmet and her bike jeans. Um, and that was all she had, a day pack. And that was all she needed to keep her really happy on the road. It was impressive. Mm, that is. You're listening, Shirley? Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I zoned out then. Uh, sorry, I talk a lot, don't I, Shirley? I, hope oh, I just heard the words packing light in the same sentence. And, just, <laughs> yeah. right. and poor, poor Shirley, because we all need to take a lesson from this. We all can, so not her only. <laughs> No, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, is I kind of think that like, obviously Shirley and Brian have, have to be the best packers because they're putting two people on one bike. So exactly. You, you know, that, that really says something uh, about packing. And we've in done general. it three times and live to tell the tale. Yeah. yeah. That and says it really, all. We got, and we did get better and better at it. There's no doubt about that. But I'd just yeah. like it to be known that when we go away in the four wheel drive and if oh, we've got the God. camper trailer, I can pack it to the gunnels. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I haven't lost the art of taking too much. Yeah. But surely, <laughs> when, when you are riding two up on the big trips, I bet you have got the stuff that you need and actually you probably don't miss very much. No, no, that's very true. I do have everything I need, even down to um, occasionally I might buy a little crafty kit somewhere and to make up something and if it's flat and light I can just throw it on the top of the pannier and do something at the end of the day that's sort of a bit mind freeing for me rather than diaries and cleaning bike gear so yeah I don't miss out on anything I really like that, Shirley, and Birgit and I used to do that as well. And you popped that, that thought just popped something in, into my mind from um, the north coast of Colombia. We stayed on this, um, this really ramshackle um, sort of um, overlanding backpackers type place right down on the beach. And they had a weird fruit, and I can't remember what it was called offhand, um, but the, the fruit was um, about the size of a small grapefruit. And these things were just all over the place. 
And somebody showed us that actually you could scoop out the inside from these and you could carve designs in the skin on the outside and then just sit them out in the sun. And it was they were just like little gourds. Mm. And we spent many an hour just sitting, chilling, chatting away to yeah. people, watching the animals, watching the sea rolling away. And it was a really good mind break from the yeah, day-to-day rush of, of moving. Yeah, it's yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And painting your T-shirts similar. Yep. It's a yep, exactly. it's a mind zone thing. And, you know, we all talk about our physical health on the bike and packing and making the bike safer for travel. But your mental health is really important too. And having those things that you can do to, if you feel the need, to zone out away from travel and bikes and mechanical things, it's a really important thing to do on the road, particularly on long trips. Yep. I like to say it. You need a vacation from the vacation. Oh, absolutely, Grant. You need those yeah. days off, yeah. away from the bike, no yeah. no dealing with officials, no dealing with paperwork, yeah. no dealing with the bike. Don't even fix the bike, just yeah. day off. Yeah. You need yeah. it. That's and when you And when you're going to do some really good sightseeing, to stay a couple of nights so the bike's tucked away behind a fence and you can just enjoy the sights without worrying about is the bike getting touched, is something getting knocked off, you know, we're getting a parking ticket. You can just go and enjoy the experience of the, the place you're visiting. And you don't and have to pack is... it tonight. Yeah, exactly. Again. Well, no, too right. I mean, but this is also where it's so important to, to choose your gear carefully, isn't it? Because, you know, yeah, you've got your bike boots, but you still need to have another pair of footwear that works for going in the shower, but also works for you to go and spend six hours yeah trudging around yes. Agra and going to the Taj yeah. Mahal and you know, all of those sorts of things, don't you? You've got to be yes. comfortable. Yeah. You do. Yeah. We're going to take just a quick break and then we'll come back to the conversation. This episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. Freshtracks has been around since the 90s and they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge and build communication skills through team building exercises. They work with uh, companies like Comic Relief, Yahoo, Mars, Pfizer, have a look at them at freshtracks.co.uk. Thank you very much, Fresh Tracks. Yeah. So, so what are some tricks for doing that sort of thing? For um, well, I guess let's first look at what pack or buy. Are, are there some things that you guys specifically? And Grant says it. He said it again here. I, I we're I, I always think of Grant when I think of this is realizing the fact that you're riding roads where other people are. There's people where you're going, and you're seeing people. So there has to be stuff there that you can get. They have to live too. Makes perfect sense. So are there things that you guys have learned to not pack and just buy on the road? Any stories to go with that? Well, I mentioned jumpers or sweaters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those things, when you do buy something like that, that's a really nice keepsake to take home. That's a good point. And and when you wear it out, you think, oh, yeah, I remember we were freezing to death somewhere and I had to buy this jumper, but how cool is this jumper? How good does it look? Yeah, and what memories it brings. That's a really good point because everybody wants to get like souvenirs and things like that. And if you're wearing all your gear that you've already taken, you've got your, I don't know, your Patagonia sweater that you paid so much money for, you're not going to dump it to pick up um, a, a local artisan sweater, whereas uh, it could be the best no. thing ever. And you could you could either send the artisan sweater home for, as a souvenir or you could give it to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can give it away. There's always some places for, for charity donations. You can always give stuff away. Yeah, I was wearing one yesterday. I, I just realised, you know, I, I used to wear a peak cap all the time. You know, when you're travelling, you get those, uh, just a cap. And the sun was quite burning and I ended up buying a um, a broad rim hat in uh, Mongolia. 
I was wearing it yesterday, and it's a great keepsake. It's mm-hmm. a fantastic little hat, and they pack down to nothing. So, yeah, you, you do change as, as time goes on too. Yeah, but, but have you guys had other, other instances where you're, you're going somewhere and you're thinking, well, I'm not going to take that with me because I know I'll buy something when I get there? Not specifically. I think I go with the attitude like we've been talking about is you take what you must have, what your minimum is, and then you adjust as needed depending on where you are. I mean, if you, if you went without a bathing suit or swim trunks, you could go to, end up at the beach and go, oh, I guess I need a bathing suit, but I'll bet you I can buy one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing. Going food, around. food is one thing. I, I, I yeah, would take always. Um, minimum food, uh, you know, just enough if uh, you get yeah. caught somewhere or something like that. But you can always buy um, uh, foodstuffs that you want. You don't have to buy. It's like when people ask you, sorry, Brian, um, yeah. when people ask you, how much extra fuel do you carry? Well, no. everywhere no. you go, people are going to be riding bikes, driving cars, driving tractors. You might not get the best fuel in the world, but you will get something to get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Shirley, that's such a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking earlier on when we were um, another section of the conversation, um, one of the things that we all need to take account of when we're looking at what our luggage capacity, our weight capacity on the motorcycle is, what about those days or those sections of the journey where we just want to go off the beaten track? We want to be um, out in the dirt. We want to be away from the from the bigger towns and the, even the smaller towns and the bigger villages and so on. We want to be away from stuff. So we've got to carry extra food. We've got to carry water. We've got to carry fuel. And we need to mentally allow space for that, um, for those sections. Now, one of the things that um, a friend taught me was, okay, so you're going to do that. If you're going to go way off the beaten track like that, why not for once do a loop? In other words, find somewhere really safe and secure and offload a load of the stuff that you, you're unlikely to be needing for this next week yeah. and a half of going off the beaten track and use that extra space for carrying the, the essential supplies that you need. Um, but surely you're right. I mean, where there's a road, sooner or later, you'll find fuel. Um, I still think that you need to have at least 300 miles fuel fuel capacity. Um, and if you're going somewhere where it looks like it's going to be more than that, then yeah, top up with some local jerry cans and give them away afterwards. But um, mostly that's plenty. And how many bikes, how many long distance touring bikes don't have at least 250 miles um, range now? Yeah, that's I would right. argue, most, I would argue it's, it's 200 is kind of about it. 300, I don't think there's anything out there that'll go 300. Really? Gosh. 300 miles? No. No, 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 no. What about yeah. 250? Yeah. Yeah. Gee, GS Adventure does that, Grant. My, my GS Adventure's done 350. 350 miles? Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Wow. How many liters do you get? Wow. Do you have in your tank? 34. Well, that's the, okay, let's not forget, that's so. the GS Adventure, which has a giant tank compared to the standard GS. Yeah. Standard GS, yeah, no. We would, uh, I would go in and pay for fuel at some places and they would come out because they didn't believe we were on a bike. Yeah, we, that yeah. happened when we crossed the border from Canada yeah, to the US, the US. We pulled into this town and the guy actually came out and said, did that go in that motorbike? It was three, 33 litres or something. But yeah. It's brilliant watching the expressions on people's faces, isn't it? I mean, Libby's got a 43-litre <laughs> tank on it. And there was one time I filled up with 42 and a half litres. Oh, wow. The, the, the cashier came out and she just stood and she looked and her eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> um, yeah, brilliant. Like those little moments. Yeah. It's, I think a, a big tank is a really, really nice thing to have if the bike comes with it. But I know a lot of people spend a ridiculous amount of money and effort to put a big tank on. And I just don't think it's worth it for the 
today, let's remember yeah. it, we're in 2023 now, not 1986, when I thought you had to have a big tank, and it was a good thing I did, but regardless, today, there are so many more gas stations, there's so many more cars out there, that the the one or two times when you might, and I really accent might, need more than your standard tank will do, there's going to be somebody there can sell you a jerry can or Coke bottle or something until you can carry the extra. Do you know, Grant, you, you, just, you just referred to getting putting a bigger tank on. That's something we didn't talk about with weight. I mean, think of the weight that an oh, extra yeah. 20 liters or in Sam's case, 40. I mean, what, what, did that, what did your bike come with stock? Was it 16 or 20 liters or something? About 20, I think. I had a 40 liter Heinrich tank on my GS. Right. Um, so and it, it weighed a ton, just the tank itself. Yeah, it was well, really think what an added 20 liter. What's the weight of an added 20 liters? Well, a, a gallon, an imperial gallon of gas is 7.2 pounds. Water mm. is... One kilo, one liter. Yeah. Mm. A kilo a liter? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. lot. Yeah. Water and fuel are both really heavy. Fortunately, gasoline is lighter than water, about 25% lighter, so that helps, but still... I think what you just said um, makes a lot of sense. I mean, I had this 43 litre tank on it. It seemed sense. It was 1992 when I set off on this. And I knew that I was going to be going places where it was I was less likely to find um, fuel because I wanted not to be on the beaten track all of the time. Um, but now, um, I think I would still like to have 300 mile range because of the flexibility and the lack of concern. I hate those days when, sorry, I don't like the word hate. I really dislike those days when I'm riding and my thoughts are not on the scenery and not on the people, but just constantly flicking down to, oh gosh, how much fuel have I got left? When am I going to find a, um, a gas station? Um, I don't like those days. I'd, I'd rather fill up at 200 miles, still in the knowledge I've got another 100 miles if I need it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but that's just me that's that's my own personal mindset and there are plenty of options now to stick a couple of tank panniers on over your petrol tank and stick five, a couple of five litre jerry cans one on either side and yeah Bob's your uncle job done especially mm-hmm. smaller CC bikes you can go a very very long way on that the, the best thing I've seen uh, a mate of mine's got one is a fuel bladder um, which when you're not using it just packs down to like a, a small canvas yeah. bag Mm-hmm. Uh, they're I, I they're like great. That. Giant Loop makes some of those. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at those the other day, Jim. Yeah. yeah, they're very good. Yeah. yeah. I just did calculations on, um, uh, I, I went from uh, Melbourne to Mildura on a tank uh, on the GS. It's 550 Ks, so it's 341.754 mile. And uh, that, I, I had fuel left, so that's on 34 litres. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a conversation the other day about this and they were saying, yeah, but then you've got something else that you need to carry. And mm-hmm. and there's one guy turned around and um, he said, well, I've just got a couple of um, uh, leather um, bicycle um, saddlebag straps and I strapped them on to the, to the reverse of my forks down, down low, um, weights down yep. low still when they're empty and yep. I don't even yep. notice that they're there. You're talking about the fuel bladder? Yeah, the fuel bladder. Yeah. He says, just yeah. roll them up yeah. and yeah, for you, so, on the back yeah. there. It's so small once you roll it up. As I said, Giant Loop makes uh, makes a really nice one. And um, yeah, you just roll it up when you're not using it. I think it's sort of like a, a really nice compromise, but I, I think it's a great idea. I don't know about the leather straps, Sam. I'm not much for using leather straps and something like that, but um, certainly, uh, yeah, strap it somewhere. I wouldn't even put it on the forks myself because it's a gas bag. No. And, uh, I'd want to put it somewhere out of the way, but uh, where it's not getting a bunch of crap on it. But uh, in any case, very easy to roll up. It's a great idea. 
Yeah. Uh, it, reducing uh, anywhere, so bulk weight. Uh, do you guys have uh, any tips that we can that we can share with a listener on on how you reduce weight? I mean, I, we covered the camping thing. You know, with shop like a backpacker. I guess is really what we're saying there. Um, shop in the backpacking sphere, and you'll be getting lightweight, uh, low bulk things. What about the rest of the gear? With my KLR, and I'm sorry that I don't remember what the weight savings is, but I changed batteries to a lithium battery. That's a and that point. saved a few pounds. Massive, mm. Quite a few pounds. It's, yeah. I, it was like I, eight eight pounds? I can't at remember. At least. I got okay. a new battery for my DRZ400, which is a very small battery anyway, but I got a lithium battery. And when the box arrived, I pick it up and said, there's nothing in here. That's what I thought. Mine was empty. <laughs> there must be a notice in here telling me, sorry, we don't have a battery for you. So, here, But here's the box. And I looked inside. There's actually a battery in there. It's amazing. They weigh nothing. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Michelle, did you do anything for, with your extra space that you had with the battery? Uh, no. Uh, well, that's good. <laughs> uh, I, I, prob- I, you- I probably like Shirley. I pack a dress. I do like to have a simple dress that I can wear in case there's something that comes up. So, yeah, it, it and that's long-term travel, I must say. If I'm doing like a girl's weekend ride or, you know, doing, you know, a week that I know is just going to be off-road, that's totally different. But if mm-hmm. I'm doing long-distance travel, I do take a dress. So, yeah, yep. I, I figure you then I can sleep know. well. Yep. You just never know, do you, Michelle? That yeah, it's like guys who only take t-shirts, and then they need to go somewhere where you need to look half respectable, and they have to go and buy a shirt with a collar on it. Whoa, whoa, yep. what? What? That, now, hang on. You're, what you're saying is with a t-shirt, I don't look respectable. I, I'm taking serious no, offense to this. That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> you know, surely. <laughs> we go to the um, Melbourne Cricket Ground to watch the cricket and the footy here in Victoria, and where we sit, you have to wear a collared shirt. And if men come in with a T-shirt, they are refused entry. That is so And that's uptight. just going to a sporting fixture. So, you know, when we were on one of our trips, we were invited to the embassy in, um, where we were, in Kathmandu. And, you know, Brian felt a lot better going in with a collared shirt than walking in in a T-shirt. You know, the ambassador was there in a suit and tie. I was with traveling with a couple of girls in Bali and backpacker style you know, packing all of, you know, flip-flops and sandals and shorts and all of that. But I packed a sundress and happened to be invited to a baby naming ceremony, which is a very big deal in Indonesia. And I absolutely wanted to go and be dressed respectfully. And I was so glad I had packed a sundress and a little cardigan or something that could go with it. So even with my bike travels, if I want, if I want the opportunity to, um, you know, be invited to something, at least then I feel like I'm, I'm open to that opportunity. And the other thing is if you're a frequent flyer, um, if you, as if you dress a little bit nicer, you have a better chance at an upgrade. And that's just a back of the house note for working in the industry that a lot of travelers uh, don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. That makes so looking pathetic yeah. doesn't work. That's that's right. That explains <laughs> a lot. <laughs> that no, explains you look like, a lot you have for to look me. Like you belong in the first class. Lounge. Right. <laughs> that's yep. right. I was going the other way. I was thinking they'd take pity on you. Look at this poor loser. Yeah. I'm going to no. put him up there. That's the, why you've never been upgraded. Exactly. Well, <laughs> once I, I was, I, that was it. <laughs> I tried the pity thing. You know, I actually went out and broke my arm so I could get an upgrade, and it didn't. Darn well work. Oh, God. That's, a <laughs> that's a really good try, Sam. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Any other um, reducing bulk? What, what about clothing? Do you, do you guys have anything for clothing that you specifically do to reduce bulk or weight? Well, I'll, I want to throw out something. Susan looked at this 
the notes we had for this. And she said, it helps build negotiation skills, luxuries versus necessities. Mm. She said, and I will quote Susan, I came to learn that tools and spare parts are necessities and anything of mine was a luxury. <laughs> oh, see, see, there's see, something sure. so wrong about that. There's something so, so wrong about that. I somehow think that was tongue-in-cheek uh, gr- t- towards I, Grant. I'd, I'd say it's Grant's <laughs> philosophy 100%. Yeah, well, it's probably his, yes. Well, that could be. But I, it, it is it is a trade-off. And, I mean, we have kind of a concept of everybody's got to have one luxury, but the, and there's basics. You got to have change of clothes and you know that sort of thing. But you got to have one luxury item. And I remember one couple at a meeting once. They said, "I have to have," she said, "I have to have a nice dress. My husband has to have a, a decent suit. I forget what exactly she phrased it, but it was kind of you know he needs to be able to dress up nice because a night of dancing solves all the problems of the world. Mm. So that's their luxury." Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Think about the last time you you went on any sort of trip, like, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Were there things that you looked at and thought, nah, I'm not going to take it to just to do what we're talking about, reduce weight and reduce bulk when you were doing your sword? Yeah, a third of my spoon. A what? (laughs) (laughs) Caddy spoon. A third of your your toothbrush handle. Yeah, I took a third of the handle off my spoon. It was perfect. I could actually fit it inside my cooking pot then too. Perfect. I thought it was the other way. You take it off lengthwise because then you have a bit of an edge on the spoon. Yeah, I only ever take one flip flop as well because I reckon that it's good for my weight if I'm hopping everywhere. Makes sense. (laughs) Wonderful tip, But it only goes off one side. I, I think I've yeah. Look, I, I, uh, I, I mean, the last time I went away, I didn't take my my um, uh, walking shoes, my runners, you know, uh, which are nice and comfortable. And I thought, you know, no, nah, I'm going to be lazing around with a few mates, having a few beers. No, I'm not going to go for a walk. Don't be stupid. So I took a pair of thongs instead. And that really illustrates the point that we're making here is that thing about deciding, you know, what's necessary. I mean, you could say, well, what if something happens? I, I should have a pair of shoes, but that's how you'll end up overpacking a whole bunch of stuff. So that, that's an excellent illustration of, of what we're talking about. I think that the most important thing is starting off your packing with a must-have packing list. In other words, what spares for the bike, et cetera, et cetera, because, yeah, the bike has to come first. What spares and parts and tools and all the rest of it do I need to have for the bike? So there's the list. You've got those things next door to it. How much do they weigh? Where am I going to put them so I'm keeping the center of gravity low, et cetera, et cetera? So that's where you start. Then um, for each person, you have a a must-have list. And those things should be things that you've tried and tested. You know that they're comfortable. You know that they're practical. So this is where um, we've said in the past about, you know, going out and doing test rides, go away for a two or three week holiday, um, using the kit that you're thinking about taking on a big trip, try it and test it and find out what works and what doesn't. to have that must-have packing list, don't be then tempted by terrific-looking look, bits of kit and great advertising because uh, it's a, it's just a sinkhole. And yeah, if weight really, really matters, then do things like cutting down your toothbrush and your handle of your spoon and all of that sort of stuff. Now, I know quite a lot of people that pack their spare parts and so on in plastic tubs for protection. I mean, that makes sense. It's a water, dust, abrasion, pressure thing. But review this. 
I was talking to a friend, um, I don't know, last year sometime, and it just stayed in my mind. He leaves his spare part in the packaging. It never occurred to him how much extra space that he's taking up by leaving everything in the packaging. So we actually cut down what he was carrying by a whole plastic tub full. And those plastic tubs themselves, they're great, but they weigh. Um, Luggage straps. Why are you carrying full-length luggage straps when all you're ever using those for is to strap on a particular circumference of kit? Cut the ends off. It's only a few grams, but it adds up. It's those small things. Um, um, You're coming from, but seriously, if you need to take five grams off the end of a toothbrush to make your trip viable, there is something seriously wrong. Surely it's seven and a half grams. <laughs> He's waiting. Surely, I'm so glad you said something because I'm sitting here, I'm sitting on my hands because I'm thinking the exact same thing and I can't wait to say something. That drives me nuts, the whole cutting of the spoon thing. It's just so well, stupid. It's so minimal. Then it's like saying you can, don't eat so much on the road because you're going to be heavier after lunch when you get on the bike. So you'll have to discard your toothbrush altogether. No, I mean, it is no, just no, no, absurd. No, 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 no. This, this is fuel and emergency rations and setting off a little bit heavy is you know, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> but listen, don't laugh at me because the, if you've got a weight limit, whenever you're receiving it, then these small savings do make a difference. And it's actually worth just for fun. Going through your kit and, and doing doing this and just then putting all the weight that you're saving on um, some scales, I reckon that by going through really carefully and thinking about these things, you could save yourself at least a kilo, at least a kilo, maybe even more than that. But hey, the plastic tubs one of the I things think- that. But the handle of a toothbrush. Uh, I agree. Yeah, but it's (laughs) the way all of these things add up. But but just do what Shirley said to begin with. Just lose a few pounds before you go. But I yeah, (laughs) I'm being I'm being extreme with this. But bear with me on this. If you're planning to do a lot of off-road then that extra kilo or two can make a big difference. Um, If you're planning to jog along, as most of us do, exploring and doing a little bit of dirt here and a little bit of dirt there, but nothing really hardcore and extreme, except for on the odd occasion when we've got no choice, then actually that kilo doesn't make a huge amount of difference. So again, it comes down to what sort of trip that you're actually planning to do. And this is what you're looking at when you're planning what sort of luggage that you want to be carrying. There's something else, and we talked about this earlier on, um, with the weight of panniers and pannier racks and so on. Some companies make their pannier racks on steroidal overkill. They're huge. They weigh an absolute ton. Is that really necessary? I would say if they are really, really big and really, really heavy, then it's actually worth your while considering making lighter weight racks out of steel so they can be welded along the way because you can get steel welded just about anywhere. Um, Aluminium, um, all those sort of more complicated metals, that's not um, so much sense. And of course, it is better to have your panty rack bend than it is your subframe. But I reckon some of the racks that I've been seeing around for the last few years, you could probably lose a couple of kilos of weight out of that, what a difference that makes. Um, I know that people makes more now. sense, Sam. No, I think Thank surely you, I think you're missing the point. I, I just realized when Sam's talking about cutting the the handle off the toothbrush, he has an electric toothbrush. 
<laughs> now there you can see some weight, right? Yes. No, listen, come on. I, I, I'm being really generous here because I actually use my toothbrush for cleaning my chain and my teeth. I don't care if I've got a black smile. It's fine. I've lost some weight. Well, and it's, it's yeah. double use. That's It certainly suits the, the mantra for motorcycle travel. Absolutely. But like there's one other thing that I'm finding a lot of people are doing consciously now. They're consciously not traveling with maps and compasses. Now, I like maps and compasses, and we've had conversations about this before, but I meet people now who are deliberately not traveling with maps because they're bulky and they're weighty if you carry enough. Um, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. My, my thought process is that I know they're using the GPS, but the GPS to me is always, and I've said this many times, but it's like looking at your landscape through a straw and I, I don't find it very satisfying. I, I know of people who for wilderness travel, they cut the, the outside areas off the map. Like in other words, if they're running the river, they'll cut the river shape and roll that up. And to me, it's, it's right along there with cutting the handle off your spoon. Doesn't make much point. I think I want to just want to make a comment thinking about Sam's comment about the toothbrush handle. I think as, as a if we take that as a teaching moment and say to ourselves, okay, I'm deciding between this gadget and that gadget, or maybe should I take that gadget at all? And then think, Sam cuts the end off his toothbrush to save seven and a half grams. I guess I don't need this two kilo thing. <laughs> that's that's a good point. <laughs> okay. Just kind of keep that comparison in your mind. And how badly do you really need this if Sam's going to cut seven and a half grams off his toothbrush? That is such a good point. I mean, I am obviously being incredibly tongue in the cheek with, with what I'm saying, but actually it does make sense. And when you start adding up those those grams here, grams there and so on, it always comes back to you put that, the savings together. And my goodness, I mean, it, it, it really does. Um I wrote this down because my brain's about the size of a pea and now I can't find it. But one of the one of my sayings is every bit of weight that you put on your motorcycle sooner or later will go down. You're the ones that have got to pick it up. Oh, you mean when you drop your bike? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Sooner or later it's gonna take up its normal resting position horizontal. Yep. Yeah, yep. no, that's, that's, that is so true. And you, you often hear, uh, or you've experienced it yourself, where you, you have so much weight on there, you have to unload the bike to pick it up. That's not oh, my style heavens, yes. of, of riding. But, yeah. but I mean, if you do that, wow, what a pain in the butt it is. If you're in a situation oh. where you're dropping it multiple times, it's just, that's horrible. It's yeah, absolutely it exhausting. Um, yes. I dropped Once my bike 11 times in one day in Africa. Oh. And I was just wipes out yeah. from it. Absolutely wipes out. I was dehydrated. I was exhausted. I was, uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was early days. I had too much stuff on the bike. I learned. And that's yep. when things get dangerous too, because your focus isn't there. You're writing, mm -hmm. you know, your judgment about whether or not you're capable of riding or if you're in traffic or you're riding some rough terrain, that's when you start making more and more mistakes. And so pun intended, it is a very slippery slope as far as your skill yep. set. So you don't yep. want to get that exhausted. And, mm -hmm. and yep. that's where really those grams do make all the difference. And, and I'm with Shirley that I've always thought that the whole toothbrush handle thing, and I've had friends that say they've cut those off. I always thought you've got to be kidding me at the other end of the spectrum. I've traveled through, you know, Latin America and met an Englishman who carried an umbrella everywhere for shade and all sorts of stuff. And I thought, wow, if that's your luxury, then, you know, it's a functional one. It's something that works for you. And there's, there's every, 
um, you know, space in between on that spectrum from those cost saving or weight saving opportunities. But it really, it depends on, you know, the terrain you're riding in. If you're traveling solo where you have to pick your bike up alone, um, those things all just, the, the important thing is it just all weighs into the process and be mindful of what those grams and ounces add up to because they can add up to a lot and make a big difference in your overall experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's an Englishman here who takes an umbrella with him everywhere too. I was just going to say, Michelle, <laughs> I didn't realize we'd met. I forgot. <laughs> well, yeah. Ted Simon swears by an umbrella. Yeah. yeah Ted Simon them too. carried a dinner jacket, and dinner, a dicky bow, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, um, I want to make a comment on what um, Michelle was saying as well and what Sam was saying. Picking When I think about picking the bike up 11 times and probably having to partially, at least partially unload it in order to pick it up, you want to think really hard about how hard is it to do that. Um, one of the things I've worked on hard on my R80GS was how hard is it to take stuff off? And I can literally have all the boxes off in under a minute. Okay, but I've seen bikes with straps and stuff strapped on and tires strapped on and another bag and another bag and another strap and they've got nine straps holding it on. If you have to pick the bike up or if, as has fought, happened to us, you fall over in a river, how long is it going to take you to pick it up and how bad is it going to be? Mm-hmm. How tired are you going to be and how sick and freaking tired of doing it again and again and again? It's God, just too a- much work. Keep There's another simple. thought. There's another thought that slots in nicely with that. Um, the more stuff we carry, the more stuff we have to load and unload, and we have to carry up hotel stairs and all of yep. this sort of stuff. And what a blooming chore that is! I mean, I carried spare tires for chunks of the time because oh, um, getting yeah. hold of tires was really difficult to do. And we ended up working with Avon, and Avon said to us, "Yeah, you can have four years' tires in one hit." And we said, "What?" Blimey, that was a lot of luggage on the bike. No, no, seriously. Um, but we, we were picking them up as we went along the way. And for example, we picked up tires in Panama. We didn't need those tires at that time. We still had a good couple of thousand miles of rubber left on our t- tires. As budget overlanders, are we going to bin those tires? No, we're not. We're going to carry the spare tires. But, oh, strapping the blooming things on and off all of the time. Yeah. We, we earned the miles that we subsequently did on those tires. Yeah, I wouldn't do it personally. I just just forget it. I wouldn't do it. It's yeah, just I'm way tight. too much aggravation. Yeah. The the um the thing and that is I was just going to point out that's extra weight again that you may not have mm. planned on when you were packing. So yep. if you have to carry your extra tires because you're having trouble, yeah, that's that. Any other sure. tips for uh, for reducing weight and bulk? Anything you guys have come across that you you don't take anymore with you? You won't take at all. Um, a whole just, lot of stuff. You know what I found? As I've reduced my stuff and taken less and less and less, I found that when I'm on a trip, I never notice the things I don't have yeah. with me. I have never mm-hmm. said, oh, I should have brought. It just doesn't happen. You just don't need much. Yeah, but it's the other way around, though. You worry about that. But when you're leaving and you're packing, you're yes. thinking, yeah, I'm just going to throw in that extra whatever um, just in case. And then, of course, you nah. don't use it. Uh, but when you're when you're out there, yeah, it seems like you hardly. I, I'm always surprised at how little you need when when you're up, even if you're camping. Just how little you need to get by on. Jim, I'll tell you one thing. Yeah. There are there are times when I really miss the third of my spoon. 
the third that I've cut off. And that's when and that's when somebody gives me a deep mug and I can't stir my sweetness in it. Right. It's terrible. I'm doing my head in, Sam. Okay, I was going to say, I was wondering where, where Grant keeps the tripod. Have you still taken the tripod everywhere he goes? Oh, it fits in the roll bag in the back. <laughs> yeah, and we, the problem is a... the problem with the roll bag and the tripod is that it's a giant pain in the neck to get to it. So mm. actually now I don't carry it. I'm I'm yeah. I'm gone from two cameras, five lenses, um, and a few other odds and ends, who knows what, to an iPhone. Yeah, to, the di yeah, the difference yeah, is though. Back yeah, in the day, so. when you were carrying your tripod with you, you were you were limited by the ISO of your film. And nowadays, yes. with, with digital cameras, I mean, you, it just automatically yeah. if you have it on auto, it'll just crank it up to thirty two hundred, which is you know unheard of back then. You would have such a grainy shot, and you wouldn't even carry oh, thirty two hundred. Be too, too sensitive of a film to be even carrying with you. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and I had a, I had a literal cubic foot of film for Africa. Yeah, think about yeah. it, a cubic yeah. foot yeah. of film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a special bag to protect it from the heat. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. White saddlebags. Now, now that one SD card would easily handle all of that. Yep. And yeah. more. And and you can get those little um, twirly legged tripods for yeah. Yeah. Point and shoot cameras, and also for iPhones. So if you want to take something, you know, you do have those options. There's heaps yeah. of things now that make things lighter. And we have a rule: what doesn't get used doesn't get taken again. Apart yep. from the tire pliers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tools and first aid kit. Yeah. Yeah, right. of course. But That's things like electrical tricks or, you know, yeah. that extra jumper that you don't really need. And we post stuff home. I've posted stuff home from everywhere in the world. It's always got back. If you start to accumulate a too much uh, bits and bobs, you just pack it all in a box and send it home. I do oh. that too. And I'm such a yeah. fan of that because I am a souvenir collector, even if it's oh, little things or I like to yep. send gifts home to people and things that I want to yep. share when I get back home. So that's the perfect chance to do it. Doing those souvenir um, gift, uh, Michelle, we mm -hmm. got home from one trip and I started unloading the boxes and I thought, now I bought this for someone. I wonder who it was <laughs> that I bought for 12 months ago. So now I have to put a little note in the, 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 you know, this thing is for this person. Otherwise, you know, the short-term memory is just shot. Well, and I can't tell you another it. tip. Very, very, very important tip. Make sure you get out a felt pen and mark on it underneath somewhere what country it's from. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, I've got stuff up on the shelf here, and I, I'm not even sure what continent it's from. It's <laughs> oh, usually you can pick the continent. You say, yes, it's vaguely South or Central America, <laughs> but don't ask me where. <laughs> yeah. yeah, usually, usually. But I got quite yeah. one or two that I'm kind of going, hmm, carving of an of a, of a elephant. Yeah, I know where that comes from. But a couple of, I got a bowl. I have no idea what continent it's from. See, I'm such a tight arse and spend so little money on souvenirs that um, something like that, I mean, that's that's an occasion. That definitely goes in my journal. Mm, yeah, yeah, but Bringing yeah. home the, a whole toothbrush yeah. must be an occasion in your world. I was just going to say, Sam can only bring home a third of the bowl or something like that and say, well, I cut the other two thirds off to save some weight. A sign of returning to civilization, Jim, is buying myself a full-length toothbrush. <laughs> so we've, we've spent almost two hours talking about this. And here, I, I think I can sum it up in, in just like, you know, very, very quickly here. I think what we're trying to say is take less stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Right. 
Okay, well that was that was good. That was easy. I think we, we, I think we you can just edit that. it all out. <laughs> and you know, we didn't even touch on things like, well, we did, I suppose, just then with with digital um, cameras and so on. But we didn't even touch on all the sort of space and weight and everything else that we take up with all that sort of stuff. My goodness, we've got to be careful with with what we carry and the electronic side of things, haven't we? Yeah, let's not yeah. start talking about drones and the space they take. Right. Yeah, but I mean, okay. and, and of course, that's that's up to you if you want to if you want to take all that stuff with you, and you and you may have a reason you're taking it if you have your ideas to document your trip, etc. But yeah, you want to seriously put some consideration into that and think, am, am I really going to do anything with this? Like I'm ta- talking while you're on the trip, I'm talking afterwards, or am I just going to take home like I do with all kinds of video and never do anything with it? Yeah, I think that this comes back to what to one of the key points, and that is. Work out what you really want to do on your trip. What do you want out of your trip and make that must-have packing list fit in with making that possible. Yeah. And when it comes point. to the electronic gadgets, I think the important phrase to really think about is who is this trip for? Mm. Me or my audience? Yeah. And if it's your audience, it's a work. It's not a fun trip. It's work. You're going to spend most of your time when you should be out on the town, having a look around, seeing things and enjoying yourself and relaxing, sitting, looking at your computer and editing your video. And it just takes forever. But but that's fine if that's what you want to do, right? I mean, If that's and, what and you if, want to do, but you've got to make that decision. And if you're going to do it, you may as well go all in and say, that's what I'm doing. This is what it's all about. Yep. But make sure you do a whole lot of that before you leave and have it all figured out and be good at it and comfortable with it and comfortable with the thought that, yeah, all this practice and exercise and work I've put into it over the last whatever it's taken you to get to that point, um, I'm actually going to con- continue to do that. And I'm having fun. I'm enjoying doing it. Mm-hmm. Do you know that fits in very nicely with what we were saying about um, when you've got the gear together that you think you're going to need, then go out and test ride it. Yep. live in it for a week or two, find out what you actually need and whether it works or not and all of that sort of stuff. And now, if you're planning to do those sorts of things, then you've got to add those to to the the, the, um, the action list yeah. of, of that expedition, that you know, the test ride that you're doing. I remember one guy recently said, oh, yeah, I've got myself a drone and I've got uh, this new video editing software and stuff. And I haven't figured it out yet, but I'll figure it out on the road. Oh, you won't? No, 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 no. No, no, yeah. He had no idea what he'd gotten himself into. He had no idea how much work it takes to edit. Video's a nightmare. Do we... And um, trying to keep it to a length where people actually want to watch it. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And for... Yeah. Please, 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 please. I'll say that 27 more times. Please don't send us a video of a ride down a road for half an hour. Yeah. I don't care. It was a good Correct. road, though. I don't yeah. care about your road. <laughs> Give me 10 seconds of it and then show me something it's interesting. That, yeah. yeah. Uh, Somebody said to me, when you're editing video, then you need to have a maximum of four seconds of whatever you're looking at. Um, and I said that to a friend who makes films and he said, cheap is as much as four seconds. Mm. Wow. I, I'm What I'm looking for here is a final statement that encapsulates everything we've talked about other than my stupid statement. And sort of finishes things off. Who's got that? But it wasn't a stupid statement, Jim. It was right on. Take less stuff. You don't need it all. You can buy anything out there. 
Yeah, there you go. Or what was the comment that you said at the start with New Year's resolutions? Lose weight and get moving. That applies yeah. for I'd people and bikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that, yeah. <laughs> I think you need to know your bike. Know what you need to, uh, what your bike weights are and pack accordingly. Don't overload the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And that will save you yeah. grief, like untold grief oh, down the road. Untold. Yeah. Untold. Yeah. You have to be in love with your load. Does he do that on purpose? He <laughs> does. And you know, Sam, when I feel so it's so um, lost for something creative to do, I'm going to make a little sampler for you. You must be in love with your load. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. So, all right. Well, we're, uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll do our plugs then. Michelle, what do you have for a plug? Oh, well, I think it's because it's a new year. I'd like to um, invite women motorcyclists who are interested from anywhere in the world, but certainly I represent the United States as the president of the Women's International Motorcycle Association, so WIMA. I'd like to invite women that are um, Americans to join our particular chapter, but if you're a resident of another country, please check out wemaworld.com and see if there's a local division in your country. Um, It's just a fantastic way of connecting women travelers women motorcyclists um, who are interested in connecting with women in their country, but also if they're looking at traveling overseas, it's a, it's a great um, community who are supporting women travelers and women motorcyclists around the world. So when someone joins this for the, for the U S what do they get? Are are they getting the connection like worldwide or is there, are there activities that you do in the U S? A little bit of both. So when you're a member of WEMA USA, um, your dues, so we, we actually are sponsoring, we have in the past sponsored dues and we're still sponsoring dues. So membership for WEMA USA is free at this point. That's going to be changing a little bit later this year, but it does include your dues for the International Association. And so you can participate in Facebook forums, online communities. We have websites with some online resources that are behind a membership password um, kind of firewall. Um, we do events in the U.S., so we have one national rally in the U.S. this year. In September, it'll be in North Carolina and Maggie Valley. So a great opportunity for women around the world, but particularly for the U.S., to meet up in a beautiful riding area part of the United States to enjoy some of the roads around Maggie Valley. There's the Tale of the Dragon and all of that um, in that part of the world. And then there is one international rally held each year. This year it'll be in the south of France um, in the Western Alps. And so that is an opportunity to, again, meet other women. And so any WEMA member from around the world is invited to our national rally and also to the international rallies. And we have lots of other things going on behind the scenes. We do virtual meetups where we get together and just kind of you know, have chats. We've got um, some fundraiser opportunities going on behind the scenes, all, all sorts of fun ways to interact and uh, get together with women motorcyclists from around the world. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's, there's a lot in there. And it's the website again for yours? Uh, for ours is WEMA, W-I-M-A hyphen USA.com. And the international one, if you're not a resident of the United States, would be WEMA World. So W-I-M-A world.com. No hyphen in that one. Nope. Okay. Okay. And of course, we'll have those links in the show notes as well. Brian, uh, what have you got? Um, I've got the original um, 
racks for my R90 S, but I don't have the original panniers. You know the ones the ones that Grant was talking about that fall off all the time. Um, the, the original Krauser panniers. The plastic. Uh, ones. Yeah, right. the the Krauser ones. You can get the reproduction ones, but you can't get any of the originals. So if anyone out there has a set of reasonable quality original panniers, I'd love to hear from you. Um, sure. I'm just completely gobsmacked. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Grant, what have you got? Well, I've got a video, the Achievable Dream video series, of course, if you're interested in travel, but especially the Gear Up video, which is very, very related to all the stuff we've been talking about over the last couple of hours. Uh, everything you could want to know, we've just got 150 people in there roughly discussing what gear do you need? What don't you need? How do you pack? And all the rest of it. So I think that would be very, very useful if this has gotten your mind working and you're thinking about, okay, how do I reduce my luggage? And what are some ideas? And what what are, what are do other people think about this and that? Check out the Achievable Dream video series, Gear Up. Now, that, now, Trent, uh, let me just interrupt you. That, that video that you made there, Gear Up, That's what that's doing is getting a whole bunch of people's opinion on what they've found works. Exactly. There's right. a, uh, we interviewed 150 people right. for so the you, video series. So you get series. a good cross-section of what, what people have tried and opinions in there and, and everything and, and sort of helps you figure out what works for you. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. Uh, the, the range of opinions is actually kind of hilarious because one person will say one thing and somebody else will say exactly the opposite. Yeah. So, it, But it gives you different ideas and what people are thinking and different approaches. And what you end up with is this path speaks to me and I think that's the way I'm going to go as opposed to somebody else's. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you might be the, the soft luggage, ultra lightweight, or you might be the hard luggage and extra top box and ton of gear and mm -hmm. stacked to the ceiling. Well, it's, you make your decision, but this will help you see all the different ideas and different ways that people are making it work for them. And it'll give you some ideas to help you decide how what's going to work for you because everybody's different. Oh, well said, Grant. I mean, there is no proper way to do this. It's nope. the way that suits you. Amen to that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point that we didn't say, and I, and I don't want to go back into everything, but I mean, the only thing with that is there are weight limitations, certainly. And we, we discussed that with their, with uh, the, at the start of it and throughout. Those are your limitations with it. But um, yeah, there is no right and wrong. I mean, Sam obviously still thinks it's okay to cut off his toothbrush. Um, other people <laughs> disagree with that, but in any case, that's the point. And there's I'm, people I'm making... out there that are, are overloaded to the nth degree. I've seen pictures. I, I actually collect a few and it's absolutely staggering the amount of stuff people take. But the important thing is they're driving down the road. They're making it. They're having fun. It, it's, yeah. I would never do it. They're having fun. They're enjoying it. And it's working for them maybe not way overloaded. It's not safe. It's going to break. They're going to have all kinds of aggravation. And if the bike falls over, they need six people to help them pick it up, but they're happy. Fine. So whatever works for you. So check out Vimeo.com slash Horizons Unlimited. Gear up. Okay. Sam, what do you have? Well, actually, I've got two plugs, if I may. Um, and the first one is that I am going into the movie industry. And you'll be really pleased to know that my first movie is going to be called The Toothbrush Massacre. Wow. <laughs> and I will be the one doing the massacring. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, um, my plug is that um, I'm delighted that I've been invited to present and book sign at the London Motorcycle Show. 
at the yeah, Excel Centre in um, the UK uh, between the 17th and the 19th of February. So I'll be presenting and book signing. And um, this year, it's uh, the Adventure Zone has been run by um, Matt and Reese, the sidecar guys. Um, and I'm, sh I'm sure they're going to have a brilliant time doing it because they're such characters. And I, um, I have no idea who the other guests are other than... Tiffany Coates is going to be on the stage and both Simon and Lisa Thomas are going to be presenting too. So um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a cracking area. I, I personally think that it's the beating heart of the London Motorcycle Show, but I'm sure there'll be one or two go faster bike riders that will disagree with me. Well, that wraps things up. Thank you very much, everyone. That was good fun, as always. Until next month. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for traveling overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. 